Yes. That's my ode to Brody Stevens. What's up, brother? How are you? Mate, Great to see you. Mate, I can't believe I'm here again. This is awesome. I can't believe you're here again, too. Yeah. I can't believe five days ago you were in a world title fight. Look at you. You look great. Yeah, I was um, straight after the fight. I had to go to hospital. I spent about four hours in hospital. I thought I broke my foot, but uh, luckily all the x-rays came back clear. Uh, swelling's gone down a lot now, so I, I, at one stage, yeah, I didn't think I was going to be able to fight December the 5th, but it looks like I'm on now with um, Soros. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so you, did you kick an elbow or something? Do you know? Uh, like Who knows? Knees. Right, I think, knees. I think I was, I keep his knees about half a dozen times. Yeah. And then, um, it didn't hurt because my face was so um, jacked up from all the cuts. And then it wasn't until I was getting stitched up that I noticed my foot was starting to uh, go elephantitis. Expand. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then once the stitches were done, I, I cyborg come into the change room to get a photo with me. And as I stood up to get a photo with her, then I realized the pain was rushing to my foot. It's like, okay, I think my foot's broken. So straight, well, luckily there was an ambulance there. We got straight into the emergency. And then, um, yeah, it was got on to the, uh, the, the painkillers, which took me into a different dimension. <laughs> <laughs> what did they give you? Oh, what I stuff? Don't, I don't know. That's um, different, different names here in America to Australia. But, um, oh, okay. Like yeah. oxycodones or something oh, like those lines? It was straight in with an injection. Oh, um, probably morphine. Yeah. That's and the then, good um, stuff. Uh, this pink elephant came into the room and started chatting to me and saying, hey, I don't really? think, yeah, I don't think the, 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 your foot's not broken, but uh, you are in a different uh, galaxy now, so welcome. <laughs> no, it's pretty cool. Was it really a pink elephant or are you just fucking around? I could be possibly fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> so you got, you, you've had 300 and how many stitches in your face? Uh, 15 now, 315. 315 so I, now. I, I broke, I broke uh, 300 about four weeks before I got to America with a, an accident in the gym spot. And I thought, okay, three hundred, you beauty. And then, and then Cosmo was Cosmo was polite enough to give me another uh, two cuts with another fifteen stitches. So, so now I thought my my plateau was three hundred. So now my next goal, is, I guess, is four hundred because I've already passed the three fifteen. Oh goodness, so, who's got the most stitches in their face ever in Muay Thai? Oh mate, that's a good question. I reckon I'd have to be close. You got to be up I, there. I, I'd have to be. Um, but I'm starting to now, now my doctor, he said, uh, because I bring my own doctor with me when I come to fight everywhere around the world. And he said, it's just scars breaking on scars. Now it's, mm -hmm. um, I'm got the, the Nick, the as sort of right. eyebrows. So this one's had at least maybe 80 in it alone. This, this eye. One so, left eye, 80, 80 that, Well, that's the main, cause that's the right elbow too coming down. So, yeah. so, um, well, that's the knock on Muay Thai as opposed to glory, which unfortunately they just got, they just, uh, lost their their deal with Spike TV or canceled their agreement with Spike TV. I don't know what happens, but they really? pulled Glory off Spike, which is really very disappointing for me as a fan of uh, kickboxing. And I was just hoping that that would translate into um, you know, just to people getting a more more understanding in this country of, of uh, high-level kickboxing. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I was lucky. Um, Glory, Glory was the the one and then you had the lion fight so mm -hmm. i reached out to scott kent with the lion fight and i said oh mate is there any chance you can put me on um i've seen how much exposure they're having with access tv and uh and with their with their deal with every, everyone in the world is paying attention to the lion mm -hmm. fight right now and because it's pure my tie as well i thought um this is that this is definitely the show to try and be on to, to raise the profile so um i jumped on board and then uh i'm so devastated that i lost it was it was such a tough fight and um uh, but at the same time even though I'm lost and I'm sad, I knew that I gave 100%. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully the, the crowd was entertained enough to hopefully invite me back and hopefully Scott was happy with my performance. Well, it, was a, it was a great, fun fight. But what I was going to say is that Glory doesn't have elbows. And yes. the, 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 the thing that people worry about with like Lion Fight and, and pure Muay Thai 
is that there's a lot of cuts. Yes. And a lot of people get cut and primarily get cut by elbows. Yes. But, you know, the way I look at it is like that is a it's, – it's an excellent weapon. And if you should be able to kick or if you're able to kick and you're able to knee to the face and you're able to – do all the things that you can in MMA. Why can't you elbow in yes. in Muay Thai? You know, and why can't you clinch? Yes. You know, yeah, exactly the same as MMA. How can you how can you take away the the rules and water it down into one mm-hmm. sort of category and then and then call? Yeah, I think it's it's hard. It's same with the same deal when Nathan Corbett came over here. Yes, um, he's the elbow master. Um, and then when he came over here to fight for Glory, um, he got beaten by Spong. He got beaten by Saki, and everyone's saying, well, but if he had his elbows, that would have changed the maybe. The who but, knows? Yeah, you never know. Yeah, but you, you, never know. you certainly, it's, it makes you think. And, you know, when you're thinking, that's bad. In, in the cage or in the ring or wherever you're competing, the idea is to train so hard and train exactly how you're going to fight so that it all comes out automatically. Yes. And when your automatic instinct for Nathan, I mean, how many fights has he had? Uh, I think close to 70. Yeah. I mean, think about all those fights that he had throwing elbows. Think about all those training sessions, throwing elbows, and then all of a sudden he's in positions where he's like, okay, don't throw an elbow, because yeah. that's normal. You're getting in the clinch, and it just it, it's just normal for you, Yes. and then all of a sudden they tell you you can't do it. I mean, I, it's problematic. I mean, it's it's nice for these guys to be able to have another outlet. I, mean, I know Tyrone, uh, Tyrone Spong is um, doing some boxing now, just some straight boxing, which I think probably at least he has shoes on, so it'll be just thinking that he's you know like it'll it'll help him not throw kicks and not thinking he can throw elbows and things. But the guys who are the best and the guys who are the the best uh, at that particular style of Muay Thai, it'd be great to see them use all their weapons. It'd yeah. be great to see them utilize all the techniques of Muay Thai. Yeah, yeah. And, and you see how technical Muay Thai is. Yeah. You know, I th- I don't think people from the outside um, that are watching it appreciate it for what it really is it's it's this incredibly intense and technical martial art yeah well thailand's uh how many hundred years old so it's already perfected to the to the rule set and then everyone's trying to water it down to them to make it their own specific sort of mm-hmm. rule set and then um yeah but it's, it's not the authentic when you keep it as it is it's already the the product's already there mm-hmm. you don't have to change it it's already it's already fine yeah. and perfect enough and fast and so it's a, it's a shame that uh, different organizations trying to, but uh, this, I suppose people don't like the clinch as much. Sometimes they think it's getting a little bit boring. And plus when you get two guys that aren't uh, at a certain level, it does seem a little bit sort of dull mm-hmm. and it's not entertaining. But in the early levels. But yes, so does yes, grappling yes, exactly. at a very low level. So does a lot of things at a low level. Yes. But I don't think you should ever sort of make rules that are dictated just to make people that are at a low level fight in a more fan-friendly, enjoyable way. I think you should just allow the people that are watching it to see the difference between a novice and someone who's an expert and see someone who uses the clinch to their advantage and see all the, the different techniques that can be landed from the clinch, the uses of the knee, the use of the knees, the, the elbows from the break. You know, there's a, a lot of beautiful techniques that can be used from the clinch that you don't see because... What Glory has done is sort of adopt the rules of K1, which the Japanese had kind of decided, hey, there's got to be a way to make these guys fight in a more exciting and fast-paced way. Let's make the rounds, you know, just let's uh, let's make the fight shorter instead of having like many rounds, like 10 rounds or 12 rounds or something like that, like a boxing match. Let's just do like three rounds and have them go fucking crazy for three rounds, you know. Yeah, when I fought in Europe, uh, that was uh, I fought in an organization called Super League back in 2003, 2004. And that was the same deal. Again, we're not going to spend airfare money 
flying you all the way from Australia and get cut in the first round and have the fight stop 60 seconds in otherwise right. it's a waste of money for us so so we'll, we'll we'll keep the knees we'll keep everything else but we'll just eliminate the elbows just in case that that does happen does um lion fight do drug testing uh I, there was no urine test after mine nothing so, no wow no. so and then the, the, i think i think they were, were in vegas and uh, now they've moved to um, Temecula, Temecula, and then um, I think they're on the other side as well. Uh, I forget the other place that they're at, but um, at, at, no, there was no no one waiting for a jar for me. Now is uh, Temecula the? It's it's a casino, right? You yes. Were, you guys were at a casino. Pach- yes. Pachanga is that Pachanga. what it is? Yes. And is that a um, Native American reservation where yes. they can do whatever they want? They have their own regulations. Yes. You know, they kept uh, martial arts alive, mixed martial arts alive in California. Okay, yeah. Native American reservations did because they put on uh, King of the Cage in uh, Native American reservations when you couldn't have MMA in California. It was illegal. Okay. And so we used to drive out to the middle of nowhere to these very small Native American casinos, and uh, that's where the King of the Cage would be. Yep. And that's that was like the primary way that that's how like Uriah Faber got started. A lot of guys, Quentin Jackson got started. A lot of guys got started in King of the Cage, and in California because of uh, this loophole that allows Native American reservations to put on the fights. But boy, I would like it if they drug tested guys. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I, I definitely feel a lot safer if I knew I wasn't fighting. Uh pure animals <laughs> just dudes juice to the tits well cosmo alexander's a big fella and um he's quite a bit larger than you the yeah guy, the guy that you fought was uh he's um he's about six three then when when they announced him they said six one but there's no way he's six one when i was looking up at him when the referee brought us together it was like looking at uh michael jordan or someone i was like holy shit <laughs> and then uh and then uh once the fight starts too just just trying to bridge that gap to get into his range it was either as you explode in to try and try and land your combinations, those knees are flying past past mm-hmm. your head, left and right. It's uh, yeah, it just makes it so much so much harder when they're so big. And and um, the funny thing is, he can make I think seventies one fifty five. He can he can cut all the way down. What? Yeah, I've, um, his last fight before he fought, fought me was seventy one kilos, and I know before that he's fought at seventy. And um, Ben, he's not a skinny seventy either. Once he once he feels right out after a weigh-in, he's um he's still got the muscles and he still looks like a V. So yeah, he's um yeah, he, and and he's and to his credit, um, I beat him back in two thousand and eight, and um, he's just improved leaps and bounds. Um, the way that he fought me on Friday night, he he fought really well. He, he used his range, he used um good power. His power was so crazy. Everything he everything he hit me with was um loaded. So yeah, good full full credit to him. I tried my best, um, but yeah, he was just um on his game. Yeah, he looked very, very sharp. There were some great moments in that fight. It's really interesting, man. <clears throat> you have a way of moving, a very uh, very specific way of moving inside the octagon or inside the, the, the ring, rather. If I watched you, like, just silhouette, if someone, someone showed me a silhouette of you moving, i go, oh, that's John Wayne Parr. Like, I could totally tell. It's, it's so interesting. You have your own very specific style of uh, of moving and i would imagine that that style is like i mean you do a lot of things that other muay thai guys do like you're very light on the front foot but there's a way you have of throwing punches and combinations and so heavy off that front left leg is very specific to you you know and i think that for a lot of guys that's got to present them it was you, you're um it's very effective but it's unique 
you know, and like in your style of movement, it's like I don't, I can't think of another guy. Like if I watch certain guys, I go, oh well, that guy fights like this guy. He kind of moves a little bit like him, or Tiago Alves is sort of like that guy, or you know, you can kind of do that with with a lot of fighters, but not with you. You got this weird sort of unusual timing, you know, especially that left leg, man. You're you're like one of the best guys I've ever seen at that front left leg counter, like to the body when a guy's throwing a punch. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, all that time spending in Thailand, that, that was one of their main things. It was telling me it's so hard to block off the back leg. Because um, that lead leg's so light, it, and mm -hmm. the majority of the time, 90% of the people are throwing leg kicks. So you've got that lead leg ready, but when it's time to, to throw the left, um, it's really hard to block. So I've, I've perfected that left. On the on the pads, I'm throwing that 70% of the time, and my right leg's my power leg. My really? Left, my left leg's my, my counter. So I'm throwing that m more than anything. And then... Uh, I started off with a really strong right leg and my left leg was okay and I just worked at it, worked at it, worked at it to make it my main weapon. And now, um, yeah. It's like a jab for a boxer. It like becomes a their boxer. main weapon. Yeah, and then someone, as soon as someone comes in to strike, I throw that left leg and it's not only, not only am I trying to score, but I'm using it as a break to try and stop you from throwing your combinations mm -hmm. also. If I, if I don't land on your ribs, I'm hitting your arm, so I'm pushing you off balance, so you can't throw the right hand. Or I want to try and break that right hand down so that's taking the power away from your right punch. And you're putting weight into it too, and landing with the shin, which also keeps the knee and the the thigh bone from you to them. It creates a space, yes, and there's a lot of power to it. Yes, yeah. you you use that so effectively, man. And I should, should have used it more too, because in the after fight speech, Cosmo was saying, "Oh, he was hurt me with that left leg," and then um, oh, he said it to the body, right? He said that on, yeah. on the after fight, that's and right. The, and that's like, ah, oh, damn it, I should have. Um I should have used it more. But There's a couple of unique moments in that fight. One of them was in the third round when you uh, just opened up with this crazy flurry. Yes. Like, what was going on there? Did you, did you just have this feeling? Did you just just say, I'm just going to put a, a barrage on this motherfucker and see what happens? Well, yeah, my theory is if, if I can get someone covering up, there's, I'm not going to stop. So if, if the opportunity comes in, if I might take me 30 punches, it might take me 50 punches. But eventually, if I, if I can find that gap and I hit you hard enough, I know I can drop you. So I was just trying my hardest to try and uh, land that big one to try and put him down. And I knew that I've done enough work in the gym to, to throw all night. And I, I, My gas tank was full. There was no way I was going to gas. So I just kept throwing, 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 thinking, come on, just land that, that good one to just give, him, give myself an eight count to get myself back in, into the game. But um, yeah, he, he, I think he wore 30-ish, and then um, he, he got it out of the corner and they shrugged it off. And it's like, damn it, now I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, it's, it's funny because you see a guy blocking punches and covering up, but uh, guys get knocked out through gloves all the time. Yes, yes. Yeah. That, yeah. Especially then, with kicks, right? And, and then it's, uh, I'm also trying to get in your head as well to make you, uh, try and, yeah, trying to, trying to break you down, thinking this guy's a machine, how can I stop him? Um, yeah, but unfortunately, it didn't work. He, Cosmo was it was good. He was very good. Yeah, there's another unique moment in the fourth round. You rocked him with a right hand, and then he started like cleaning the bottom of his feet. Yes, yes. He was hurt. Yes, he was hurt. He's like, oh, something on my foot. Like, yeah. bitch, you just got rocked. I just I, <laughs> first first I thought he lost his mouthpiece. No, and then and then. Uh, I, as, as I seen him sort of, I've gone to jump in and that whoa, 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 whoa. And then I thought he lost his contact. I don't know what was going on. But it was a fool. Like, no, 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 you're wrong. I'm right. You're, just a second. And yeah. Then, uh, and then it's, then it's like, oh, no, he was fucked. I, I should have yeah. jumped on him. But yeah. Um, he played yeah, a little mind game yeah, there. Yeah, it was effective. Yeah. That's a veteran move. It's like, stop, 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 stop. Wait, wait, wait. No. Yeah. Okay, I'm good. It's, oh, 
there, well, there you go, smash opportunity. And you tried to move in, and the referee got in yeah, between you. Yeah, the referee you. did the it referee as well. The referee fucked up. Yeah. He didn't yeah, know what was going yeah, on either. He yeah. got hustled as well. <laughs> yeah, so to his credit, he, he pulled that move. Yeah, that yeah. could have been my, my shot. That well, you be. could tell, too, because after that, he wasn't the same. And then in the fourth round, or the fifth round, rather, you came on strong in the fifth round. The fifth yeah. round was all you. Because I, I think you hurt him bad in that fourth round. I think you stung him. That's, what, that's the only reason why a guy would ever do like a con move like that like hold on man i gotta clean the bottom of my feet like yeah. the fuck are you talking about you don't get to clean the bottom of your feet the guy stops yeah there's no timeouts <laughs> in kickboxing it, it was very strange and then yeah. uh it, we, we were chatting afterwards and you came into the change room and we we, we had our, our uh, chat um and then he goes, oh, man, you wouldn't believe it. The very last uh, punch you through, you broke my nose. Now I can't breathe. So as I've gone into the hospital to the emergency, he was in, in one of the other rooms getting his nose put back in the, together. So, Well, you could see his nose leaking when he was talking to Pat Milicic. His nose yeah. was leaking. But uh, he's a tough guy. and a oh, It seems like a really, really nice guy, too. He, um, we've fought each other three times now. And then we've also fought on the same cards here in Jamaica and Australia and a few other places. And um, nicest bloke. He's uh, just the most genuine. And then... Even when we 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 got uh, put together for this fight, uh, we were messaging each other privately on Facebook and um, just talking about different things. So there's no animosity. It's just it's just business. Right. He, he's got to get paid. I got to get paid. We we beat and each competition. Other. Yeah, competition. Yeah. Competition. We, yeah. We, we beat each other up, and then at the end of it, again, we go in each other's change room. We high five. Good fight. Thank you very much. Um, you know that's interesting because that's a that's a, a big part of fighting um, is the camaraderie between fighters, but also a big part of fighting is the mental game when there is no camaraderie when guys are fucking with each other and it becomes emotional and there's a lot of fighters that have been tripped up by emotions like uh, Donald Cerrone was on the podcast and we were talking about his fight with Nate Diaz and Nate Diaz talked all kinds of crazy shit to him knocked his cowboy hat off you know called him every fucking name in the book and then when they fought Donald was all fucked up emotionally he was so emotionally invested in beating this guy's ass and not losing to this guy that he just couldn't perform at his best he just, he just was so tied up and Conor McGregor, he does that to everybody. Yeah, he's he good. fucks with you so hard. By the time you get in there, you don't even know who you are. You know, like he's got you convinced you're a totally different person. You, you just want to kill him, and then you can't even hit him. It's like the it's such a it's such a mind fuck when you wind up hating someone. Yes. So in that sense, it's got to be a pleasure when you meet a gentleman like Cosmo Alexander, who's a great fighter as well. And you don't have to think about all that jazz. You can just, just be yourself. Yeah, no, I've, I'm very lucky with the sport. I, have, I haven't had any uh, Conor McGregor's or Nick Diaz's in, uh, that I've faced. Ever in all your fights? Uh, there was one time I was on a television show called The Contender. Oh, and then, um, right. there was a French gentleman that was sort of getting under everyone's skin. And he was uh, talking, talking a lot of smack. But at the same time... Yeah, what get, was that guy's name? Uh, Rafik. Yeah, Rafik here, um, and then everyone was coming up to me saying, "You got to knock this bloke out! You got to knock this bloke out!" And then even the film crew were coming behind the scenes saying, "Oh, you got to knock this bloke out! You got to get this guy off this show." Because as soon as you uh, on our show, as soon as you lost, you went home. Mm -hmm. So um, I put a lot of pressure on myself. To, and then again, the harder you try and knock someone out, the less it happens. And then yeah. and then the more mentally drained you get too. Because mm -hmm. why is that, why haven't knocked him out yet? 
instead of thinking, okay, just do the business, then if something lands, then it goes down. But when the harder you try, the less it happens, then the more frustrated you get, then the more tired you get because you're mentally drained. Mm. So, uh, it, yeah, it's a tough gig. That, it's, that's, it's that way with everything, man. It's that way with everything. As soon as you get emotionally invested in something like that and just you're dealing with that other thing, which is even bigger and more central to your, your thoughts than your actual task at hand. You're dealing with this, like, this talk jazz, blah, 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 which is you're going to fight. I mean, you're going you're, you're gonna to engage in the most intense form of competition ever, and you're concentrating on this bullshit, like talking bullshit. Like, what difference does it make what we say if we're going to fight? Well, the difference is if you can fuck with a guy's emotions, he can't fight good. It's crazy. Um, uh, on the, at the weigh-in with Cosmo, uh, on, at the airport, I bought myself a, a, a little boomerang sou uh, souvenir, and then uh, I presented at the Cosmo at the weigh-in, and then um, we, we, we hugged and shook hands and took a photo, photo with the boomerang, and it was just a, a gentleman gesture. It's like, oh, well, at least you're going to remember me. We look, and then, but then you look at the UFC, and then you've the, got Dana White standing in the middle, and they're holding guys back. Mm -hmm. It's like... Well, 24 hours time, you're going to punch each other in the face anyway. So right. why, why, why all the, why all this acting? Yeah. Like it's not, and then same with um, Conor McGregor and Aldo. Every time they get together, it's like, well, you technically you can't really do it now. You're both going to get in a lot of trouble, or you're going to get fined by either the commission or Dana or UFC. Or so just. Can't you just be? I know it sells tickets too. I know it's in. It does it, sell it's, it's it's riveting. It's so you can't you can't not watch it. You can't not tune into the websites and the and the replays. But uh, yeah, I suppose being a gentleman sometimes can be boring compared <laughs> compared when you look at it like that. It's kind of a catch twenty two, right? It's like because you can make a lot of money by being an asshole. Yeah. Yes. Right. I mean, God, people pay attention to you. It, be, it becomes this this huge media selling point. It's a the story and. Look, the John Jones Daniel Cormier fight. I think I do believe that John Jones is the best light heavyweight on the planet, and I think he beat Daniel Cormier because he's incredibly skillful and because he's just so good. But I also believe that Daniel Cormier was fucked up going into that fight emotionally because John had talked so much shit to him. They got in a fight at the weigh-ins where they like literally were throwing punches at each other, and they had to be separated. It was a giant brawl. It wasn't a weigh-ins, rather. It was uh, yeah, a press, press conference. conference. Yeah, yeah. Giant brawl at the press conference. Conference, knocking people over, throwing shoes at each other. I mean, it was madness. But John can handle that stuff better than Daniel can. Like yes. John can still perform at the same level in, in under those circumstances. I don't think Daniel did. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, that was um, that was insane. That was crazy. Yeah. That was crazy. Well, that's that's Connor too. I mean, part of what Connor's doing is fucking with people. Like that's what Muhammad Ali did, Muhammad Ali did to Sonny Liston. Yes. When Muhammad Ali first fought Sonny Liston. They, he was screaming and yelling at him so bad at the weigh-ins that they weren't going to let him fight, that they thought there was something wrong with him because his heart rate was so crazy and his, his blood pressure was so high. They were worried that, like, this guy's not fit to fight. Yep. And then he calmed down. He's like, just relax, guys. Go ahead. I'm, I, know what I'm fuck I know what I'm doing. I'm just fucking with this dude. And it turned out that he knew... That Sonny Liston, although he's terrifying and he's just this massive hard puncher and knocked everybody dead, he was scared of crazy people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what Muhammad Ali did. He just acted like a fucking crazy person. He used to drive to Sonny Liston's house. And he would park his car on Sonny Liston's lawn and yell out at him in the middle of the night. Just yell at him. Really? Get up, Sonny. I'm going to kick your fucking ass, Sonny. He would say all kinds of crazy shit. Sonny, listen, you ain't shit. Yeah. Sonny, listen, I'm the man. I'm the champ. The champ is here. He would say all kinds of crazy shit on the lawn. 
Like on his fucking lawn while Take. the guy's trying to sleep. He's doing the um, uh, Shannon Briggs. Yeah, well, what Shannon Briggs does now, yeah. <laughs> Shannon Briggs is hilarious, isn't he? <laughs> Let's go, champ! <laughs> do you, do you pay, pay attention to his Instagram? Uh, it's amazing. I, I, I was for a while, but then it's, it's, on, it's on loop. It's pretty much every single video yeah. you watch is exactly the same, whereas uh, Ali had a bit of class about it. Or oh, same as Connor. Connor's a genius yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. The, the breakout, the red panties, like, that's um, that's gold. That, that was pretty cool. Yeah, break out the red panties, <laughs> yeah. If you're fighting me, break out the red panties, honey. We made it. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a genius. Connor is the best shit talker ever. How do you There's even think no of that? One. You're lying in bed, laying on your pillow, thinking... You know what? Yeah, what color panties should my missus wear when we? <laughs> the red ones. The red ones are probably the best ones. I don't even think he's thinking it. I think that's just him. Yeah. I think he just he just free and just just thinks just thinks that way. You know, he's just an amazing shit talker. He's so good at it. Yeah, I talk um I talked to Hans a fair bit between um the last couple of days, and he reckons he's such a good guy. He reckons, Hans Mollenkamp. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, Hans said um when you talk to him one on one, he said he's just the the nicest, oh, poli yeah. politest gentleman you'll ever meet. And then you put him in front of a stage, and especially in front of those crowds that they're pulling at the Wayne's and press conferences. And then he just he just um, shines and mm. just come, becomes this different animal, which is a marketing genius at the same time too. They're just a brilliant entrepreneur that's going to be set up for life. And he wasn't like that earlier in his career. You know, he became like that really when he got to the UFC. I mean, he had a, a, a hair of that before. He had a little bit of that before where he was confident and he would talk well. And I've been following Connor for years. I tweeted him a long time ago, like uh, several years ago, back when he was uh, fighting in England, I believe it was. I think it was England. I'm not sure. Fighting in some overseas organization. I watched it on uh, in, uh, YouTube. And I was like, this guy's fucking talented. He's talented. He's got a clean left hand, too. His uh, his his left hand power punch. Woof. That's a fucking good night Irene punch, man. From the South Pole. Yeah. He, he, he's so good at measuring guys, too. Very good at measuring. And he has a very off-speed movement. His movement is unusual. Very difficult to time. That's one of the things I was thinking about when I was watching you fight. Unusual movement. You know, it's it's a very um, very difficult thing for guys to deal with. Like a lot of fighters will tell you that um, sparring with a person who has a very traditional style is almost like comforting sometimes. But when you spar with a guy who might not even be as skillful, but is doing things all wrong, but has a lot of power, like does things like real weird, like um, the guy who just fought Sugar Shane Mosley, that crazy guy who smokes cigarettes from uh, Nicaragua. Mioga. Yeah, Ricardo Mayorga. Yep. Ricardo Mayorga is a perfect example. When he used to fight uh, the late great Vernon Forrest, he beat that dude because Forrest couldn't deal with his his, his weird, crazy punches the coming madness. from everywhere. It was madness. Those punches were coming from like behind his calf and over the top and hit you on the nose. Like what the fuck? Like everything was winking and wild and with murderous intentions. It's it was so street, you know. Everything it was it was not like skillful. It was not like fighting uh, like a Roberto Duran who was like incredibly skillful, but also like raw too, you know. With Ricardo Mayorga, everything was awkward. It's like you didn't know what the fuck. You couldn't get into this rhythm. Like when you see like two very skillful boxers fight, you know, you you see they're looking for openings, they're probing, but you see like a a, a common rhythm or a, a rhythm that you've seen before, you know. 
it's a conventional way of moving. Yeah, same in Bangkok. You watch two professional ties and they train identical. So when you put them against each other, now you're, you're watching a chess game. Yeah. And then, now, well, back in the 90s anyway, then you chuck in your Raymond Deckers or, mm. or, or, or luckily for myself, um, you throw in the, the, the hands because they weren't really boxing back then. Right. And all of a sudden you, you've thrown out the rhythm because they're not, they're, all of a sudden they're like, what the hell's going yeah. on here? Yeah. Yeah, Ramon Deckers used to do everything hard. Everything hard. Every fucking punch was murder. Every kick was murder. Yes. And But see, the difference between you and him was that you've fought smart enough to get to 39 years old and still can fight in world title fights. Yes. Whereas by the time he was in his late 30s, his body had just been destroyed. Yes. He destroyed his ankles. Like They say that by the time he had his last few fights, like his ankles were so bad that his doctors told him, if you break your ankle again, we might have to amputate your foot. Yeah, yeah. And so he switched his stance. He started kicking with his other leg. But then the fight would get heated up, and he'd go, fuck it. And he would go right back and ah, throw that same kick over and over again, just slam into guys' arms, slam into their knees, slam into their shin. Yeah, he's a man. He's a king. I said that last time too. He's yeah, still, he's still a king. I still, I still think he's. Oh, he was amazing, man. Pound for pound, the greatest ever. He's, he was the man. He, he's someone I'm trying to implement still. And I said that last time too. And yeah, um, yeah. My whole every single every single time I have a fight, I'm trying to emulate, trying to walk in his footsteps to to become the next him. So now, how how have you gotten to 39 years of age though? I mean, with all your cuts and all that stuff. But you you don't have any injuries that have stopped you from competing at the world class level. Uh, just uh, luck. Uh, I've been so fortunate to have good genetics, um, and I still have the passion. I still wake up every morning at five thirty. Um, I'm on the road at six thirty. I'm still running twelve k's. Uh, I'm still hitting the pads just as hard. I'm still doing massive rounds. Uh, for this last prep, board, I was running. Uh, 100 kilometers a week. I ran for 10 weeks. So I worked out. I ran a, a thousand kilometers for this camp. So wow. that, that's morning and night all together. What is that in American? Uh, 600 miles. 600 miles. So 600 <laughs> miles for the ten, in a t- over 10 weeks. That's and, a lot of fucking miles, dude. Uh, um, nine rounds on the pads. Uh, sounds better when you say a thousand, though. Yeah, yeah, it sounds cool. Kilometers are better. <laughs> I should go to meters. <laughs> um, uh, but nine rounds on the pads. I was two two boxing, five tied, uh, two or three leg shields. Wow. Uh, and then I'm I'm still running with the young kids. I'm still sparring the young guys in Australia. I've got a couple of young gentlemen, uh, Jake London, Elliot Compton, that come to the gym on Saturdays. Um, they're in their early twenties. I'm still holding my own with them, and they're they're like the the best prospects Australia has. And I'm and I'm I'm not losing. So, Do you think that that's because of your passion? Do you think that's because of your enthusiasm that you truly love Muay Thai? And I know you do. I mean, it's, to, me, to you, it's just like, it's so exciting and f- invigorating and fulfilling. And do you think that that's what happens to fighters um, first, that the, the waning enthusiasm even before the body starts to fail? Uh, I'm not sure. My, my, no, because I've had other students that I've, I've, because I run the gym, I've had guys that have had 30, 40 fights that are world beaters, but their shoulder pops or their knee mm-hmm. goes or their ankles goes, and then it's not, they have to retire. It's not a, not a case right. if they want to, they have to. Where I've been so fortunate that my knees are intact, my shoulders are good, my, my, I've had a few problems with my hands, but no, nothing really to stop me. Um, I'm just, surgeries with your hands no, at all? No, nothing. I just have, no, nothing. No, no surgeries. I've just had stitches, just lots and no lots, surgeries and, lo- at lots all. and lots and lots of stitches. <laughs> but um, besides that, uh, I'm I'm just so blessed that um, yeah, no. And then, but besides 
good genetics and and the passion. That's um, I just I just want to my life from the time I was four years old. All I wanted to be was a martial artist, and now I'm getting older, and I know that my time is coming. I don't, I don't want to stop. I want to ride the ra- the wave all the way until I pass. But I know I can't. But I want to. I, mm. If I had my way, I'd I'd fight to the very day that I go to my grave. Do you are you more careful now that you're 39 years old? Are you more careful now about your diet, about rehabilitation, about those kind of things? I, I'm more more aware about losing weight before a fight. Before I was trying to do it Thai way. I was trying to lose 10 kilos in three four days. Now I'm doing it over a 10 week period, so I'm only losing those last few kilos and the two days prior to the the weigh-in. Do you think that, though, when you're fighting a really big guy like Cosmo Alexander, who most likely lost a shitload of water weight the day before the fight and then IV Mm -hmm. um, rehydrated, which is legal in Muay Thai still, not legal in MMA anymore, um, at least in the UFC, do you think that that is uh, that that it's a detriment to you though? This one I went up a weight division also. Right, I, I usually yeah. fight at middle. Well, still the boxing one sixty middle the boxing weight. weight, yeah. weight the boxing weight division. Sorry. And this was one sixty eight. One sixty seven. Sixty seven. So uh, because I was flying to America, I, I didn't want to starve myself on the plane. I mm-hmm. didn't want to get here, and I didn't want to have to put the sweatsuit on. I didn't want to sauna. It, I, so I only had to lose. Uh, two kilo six pounds. Mm-hmm. So that's nothing. So and then. Um, and then come 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 way in time, I felt comfortable. But then come fight time, the size difference was like, oh my god! It was different, but what it's a, interesting that you were the one who was coming on in the fourth and fifth round. You know, my I fitness. Mean, I I, yeah. trained, I I wanted it so. I, I this is the I can't remember how long it's been since I've wanted a world title so bad. I've been very fortunate enough to win ten, but I wanted this one because, like I like I was saying last time I I was here, um, I want to try and reach. I, I, I've been lucky enough to be famous in Australia and being famous in Thailand and make my name in Japan, but America is like the last frontier where where I, where I haven't really sort of excelled or, or I want to I wanted that title to say America, this is me, right? And then um and then I lost and it's like ah, oh, but but I hope I put an entertaining fight enough. Oh, you the, definitely the, did. You the, definitely did. How many how many titles does uh, Lion Fight have? How many divisions? Uh, Do they have a one sixty? Uh, 160, yes. I believe uh, Singlo holds that. May poss- oh, no, it was that other young Thai kid that I forgot his Joe name. Joe Nanawat? Possibly. I think I think that's... Yes. He's uh, Well, he's one of the stars in Lion Fight. I think I personally think that Lion Fight has some of the best skilled kickboxers in the world today. Yeah. I really enjoy watching those shows. I mean, they, especially they'll they'll bring in some ties that are just murderous. And yes. They, 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 the level of Muay Thai that they show, like you get to see this beautiful execution of, yes. of the style. Uh, you know, Jarena that just fought on the mm-hmm. semi-main she, yeah. um, from Holland. She's uh, amazing. She was, and then that, her, her fight was against Cyborg. I, yeah. I, I didn't hear about her until she fought Cyborg, and then I was really intrigued to see how Cyborg would fight against in my, pure Muay Thai rules. Mm-hmm. And then um, that, the Dutch girl came, and so was this. And then it's like, whoa, she's were, a beast. There, there's the difference of pure Muay Thai against pure MMA. It was just, yeah. um, it was a beautiful to watch. Jorina Barsh is her name, and yes. she's uh, tall and long. You know, Dutch people are among some of the tallest Europeans. They the average height is six feet tall. They're very big people. You know, and um, Jorina is uh, like probably one of the most technical women in the world when it comes to Muay Thai. And that you got to see that in that fight with Cyborg. I mean, when she push kicked her in the face and knocked her down, I mean, she's she's a beast, man. She's a beast. Do you, do you believe it has anything to do with the the nutrients that are in pancakes? 
Pancakes? <laughs> don't the Dutch, Dutch people pancakes? <laughs> don't, the, don't, the, don't the Dutch um, people like pancakes and you smoke some pigs? I don't know. Do they? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. I think it probably has to do with marijuana. <laughs> Plus marijuana is making them grow. No, I think it's just, you know, probably hardy people, you know, hardy. It gets cold as fuck there. The, you know, the strong survived. It's like Vikings. Why are they so fucking big? Like those people in Iceland that always win those uh, strongest man competitions. Why is that? Why is all these Iceland guys that keep winning? But when you see them, you go, oh, yeah, I get it. It's a fucking Viking. That's a, that's a Viking that made it to 2015 with some Viking genes. They, they, they've you know? got nothing else to do besides pick up big boulders and yeah. put, them, put them 100 meters down the road. But it's interesting what you said, though, about Jorina when she fought uh, Cyborg. Because I'll tell you what, you know, I was super impressed with her technique and super impressed with her skill level. But I was impressed with Cyborg's grit and determination yeah. because she was getting her fucking ass kicked. And she hung in there and she kept trying to win that fight. She kept chasing that girl down and, and she was getting beat. She was yeah. getting beat and she was losing and she was technically outmatched. You know, I think there's a difference in um, someone who's really good at hitting things hard and someone who's really good at Muay Thai. Someone who's really good at setting things up. Yes. You know, and I think that what she can do better than Cyborg is set things up technically. Yes. You know, and it's not that Cy Cyborg can't learn that. She certainly can. But when you see someone who's used to like takedowns and submissions and dealing with uh, little gloves and dealing with uh, fighting people that are nowhere near her technical level, that was without a doubt the best striker Cyborg's ever faced. Because yes. she's been fighting girls that literally there have been assaults. You know, you've seen a lot. Like the toughest girl she ever fought was Gina Carano. Yes. And, you know, she that was a good fight. It was a good fight up until Cyborg started beating her down. But the level of Muay Thai like in something like Lion Fight. Like the girl, who's the girl who fought Jorina this uh, this past weekend? Oh, She's no. very good. Ma from Czech? Yes. Yeah, yeah, from the Czech Republic. She, I f all apologies, I forget her name. But she was very good as well. Very tough. But that was a pleasure to watch that fight because those, those girls were very technical, you know? Um, what Jorina brought to the table with the cyborg fight was um, a lot of front kicks to the face, mm -hmm. which which I don't think MMA people use um, as, as, as effectively because they can't use it because of the catches and the takedowns. And also the, the straight up knees because Jorina is so tall. Yeah. Uh, what, what a normal person would throw to the body, she can throw to the face, no problem whatsoever. Yeah. So all of a sudden you have those two different elements coming at you. And, then, uh, and that's what kept landing over and over that, that kept dropping her especially mm -hmm. when she was holding the ropes and teeping in the corner and, mm -hmm. straight, and Cyborg was rushing in to try and knock her out and Boom. running straight into those front kicks so. yeah she throws it to the body well too she did that in this fight too yeah that she throws that front kick to the body real well and she follows it up with nice straight punches and she's so long so long yep. she keeps you at the end of her punches yeah I, I man I get frustrated when I see that Muay Thai is not more popular in the United States I really do yeah. you know and I know I know I'm not the only one because the big thing that everybody always says about MMA, which, of course, I disagree with because I have a background in jiu-jitsu, but that when it goes to the ground, that it's boring. I don't think it's boring because I understand what's happening, and to me, it's fascinating. I want to see, like, a guy like Damian Maya, when he takes guys down and strangles them, to me, that's beautiful. That's art. I want to I see, like, how he's setting things up. You know, when he fought Neil Magny in his last fight, I couldn't wait to interview him because he made some adjustments on the ground and, and took the guys back. And the guy was defending in the first uh, first round. I was like, what adjustment did you, did you make? Like, how did, what did you, And he was explaining it to me. And I could see the technique and the art in his in his words. Like, to him, it was a problem to be solved. And, and that's – I see that in Muay Thai too. And I think um, for, um, you know, everybody that 
like the, the, the meatheads that watch MMA, oh, I hate when it goes to the ground. Well, why don't you like Muay Thai then? Yeah. Why isn't Muay Thai like the biggest, most popular combat sport in the world? Because it's all stand-up. And if you watch Lion Fight, man, you might see five, six knockouts a night. Like uh, Dream Killer Bolanos, that fucking kid with his spinning elbow KO in his last fight. Holy shit. Yeah. Wild stuff, man. You know, it's just, I think also, like, Access TV is one of those weird stations. Mark Cuban owns it. It's at the end of the dial on Direct TV. You. you can't fucking find it. You know, I mean, I think that it's one of those things where somehow or another there has to be a consciousness shift where people have to be able to appreciate it, yeah. you know, yeah. and I don't know what that shift is. I don't know how to make that shift. I don't know what it would be that would cause it to get on some big event on television, you know, Yatsen Klai, maybe you and Yatsen Klai again, again, oh, again, you trying to get me killed. Come on, you beat him. <laughs> well, I was lucky. I was very lucky. <laughs> Astra Astra Australian judges. I was lucky. Uh, you are, you're but, too, um, you're too kind. Uh, I, I think too I just humble. need, I just need um, exposure because yeah, I think you're what, right. what, what I've, what I've realized is, um, like, I think I said this last time as well. The UFC is so good at making superstars, mm -hmm. and then when you, for instance, um, Gloria Lion fight, uh, you can say uh, Tyron Spong is fighting Gurkensaki, for instance. Amazing. But nobody knows who they are besides the right. hardcore Muay, uh, Muay Thai guys, but um, amazing because, because MMA is so big, uh, everyone knows the the Cowboy Cerrones, everyone knows the George St. Pierre's. Mm -hmm. So when when they fight, you already know their history. You already know this guy is a killer. This guy is this guy is going to talk shit. This guy is going to it's gonna, yeah. It's just, but you know what? That's it, only been the case for for ten years. Yeah, true. In two thousand five, when Stephen Bonner and Forrest Griffin fought on Spike TV, nobody knew who the fuck those guys were. Yep. They they were they were fighting so hard that <clears throat> at one point in time. I believe the statistics was the statistic was 10 million people were watching that fight, which for a cable TV fight was fucking insane. And the reason why so many people watched it is they they started watching it. It was like three million people or something like that because it was the finals of Spike TV. And during the fight, the numbers went up like substantially yep. and they believe that people were literally calling people up and going you got these crazy white motherfuckers are beating the shit out of each other on spike tv go turn this on right now and they literally believe that it was through word of mouth during the fight that changed MMA history yep. because during that fight because it was so crazy and so wild and those guys just put the pedal to the metal and went nuts for the entire fight and it was they were so evenly matched that after it was over a sport was made I mean a sport was made by one fight I, I, that's not an exaggeration because to this day although it was a great performance by Diego Sanchez nobody talks about Diego Sanchez versus Kenny Florian yep Diego Sanchez fought Kenny Florian for the 185-pound title on that same night, and Diego took Kenny down and beat the shit out of him, stopped him. Yep. But nobody talks about that fight. It was the fight between those two guys, between Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner, that literally made MMA. Yes. And from then on, the, the numbers just started going crazy. Yep. Like Everybody started tuning in, and it just picked up, and then the ultimate fighter took off, and then it picked up more and more and more and more, and then it became a huge sport. But it literally was born out of one event. Yep. That was. We need something like that for Muay Thai. Yes. We need something like that for kickboxing. One big thing where people go, holy shit. And if that can happen, I think And you also need a promoter like Dana White and, uh, you know, owners like the Fertitas. You need some, some powerful organization that's got balls and money yes. and really gets behind it. And then you need a lot of luck. Yes. Well, that's it. I don't know how K1 uh, fucked up because... Um 
they had everything. They had the Yakuza. Sorry, They had the money. They had the TV. They had the the slow motions. They had the highlights. They, they had, had the, the missing walkouts. fingers. They had the dudes with the body suits, <laughs> the body tattoos. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. They they um they were gigantic and in Japan. Since they've disappeared, it's like where do we go? Where does the kickboxing go? If I'm a young kid and I'm watching the TV. Do I UFC is the only only way to go? So hey, do you want to be a Muay Thai fighter? Why? Mm-hmm. Why I can right. be I can be on a on a cereal box? Or now it's gone so far that you can you can right. be a a legitimate um, household name. Whereas in Muay Thai, oh, you might get a few little medals or trophies to put on your your pool room, but yeah, there's no there's no. No one driving Mercedes Benzes as a Muay Thai fighter. There's no, there's no, there's not even a hundred thousand dollar payday for a Muay Thai guy. If you, if you, if you get ten grand, you're like, yeah, ten grand, uh, yeah. But I still got to go to work Monday. Yeah. So, and for women, it's even crazier. I mean, think about the small group of talent, the depth of talent in women's MMA. Like, there's a perfect example. The UFC 115-pound strawweight champion, Yoani Jacek, is a Muay Thai champion. Yes. Six-time world Muay Thai champion. And she's just murdering chicks. Just murdering them. Yeah, she's, she's nasty. She, she's business. She is she's so nasty. But other than her, you know, you have a bunch of people in her division that are really... Honestly, there's a few with some experience that are getting better, but... They're not world championship level. Yes. You know, they're just, and if you're a, a girl who wants to make it in fighting and you look at the pool of talent that's in the UFC right now in the women's division, especially 115 pound division, you're going to be compelled to try to make it there. Yep. At 135, you get that murderer, Ronda Rousey, flipping bitches on their heads and shit, <laughs> snapping arms. That's a tough one because she's so advanced. You know, she's so. She's so advanced that she's just smashing everybody they put in front of her. So that's a that's a tough one because you would have to learn how to grapple at a very high level to even be able to hang in there with her. And now her her striking is getting way better too. So it becomes problematic. But what is the one thing that no one's ever done to Ronda Rousey? Strike. Kick the shit out of her legs. Strike, yeah. Strike, keep her away, keep her away, stuff the takedown and kick the shit out of her legs. We haven't seen that at all. Like yeah. at all. We've seen no how much would you like to see a world championship level Muay Thai fighter like Joanna Yunjacek, who's fighting at one th- a natural 135, who fights Ronda Rousey? Yes. Someone who comes out there and you see this like super high level striking game with good takedown defense and sprawls. Now you got to fight. Yeah. Now you got some crazy shit happening. Well, that's what we were supposed to expect with Zagano. That was supposed to happen in February. Yeah, but Kat Zingano's not world class in Muay Thai. But then the bell you know? went. The She's bell, tough. The bell went, yeah. and she ran in. She yeah. dove into her arms. Yeah. Okay. What did you? She ah, fucked up. She's gonna be laying in bed for a she very long up. time. Going, what did I do? Well, Kat Zingano also you have to think has never fought in that stage before. That stage itself is just such a. F- Mind fuck. Yeah. Like the you're standing in that octagon, the bright lights, the cameras are on you, and you're like, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's probably half the reason why she made that mad, crazy bum rush across the octagon and just wanted to attack her. Yeah, yeah. 
um, I heard the same thing uh, from Faraz when I was training with George. He says people don't understand that they they fight in the prelims, and then you, you because George has done it so many times, he's so used to the pressure. Mm-hmm. But then you get the guys that are fighting George, and then all of a sudden it's five fives. You're you're on the posters. You're doing the, all the <sighs> all the media, and then the the you have to walk out in front of that twenty five thousand people or, or or whatever the MGM or or in. Or how in, about or, when he fought in Toronto? Or Toronto sixty so, so sixty thousand. And you're the bad guy. You're, yeah, in you're, Canada. You're the, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, the pressure just breaks them before they even walk. Well, breaks them probably weeks in advance. And then, and then the day comes. You think you can handle it, and the day comes, and then you just, you, you implode on the inside. Or not. Or you're like John Jones. You fight Shogun in your first world title fight. You're 24 years old, and you beat his ass. Yep. You stop him, and everybody goes, holy shit, look at this guy. I mean, I think John was 23, actually, now that I think about it. He was the youngest ever UFC champion. And I believe that Josh Barnett won the UFC heavyweight title when he was 24. So I think John, I might be off by this, but I think John was 23. Yep. But that's that's a special guy. You yes. know, John, just a special competitor. And I think that for someone like Kat Zingano, that media pressure is just as much pressure. Having all those people ask you, what's it like? What's it going to be like when you get in there? How are you going to win? Who's going to, how are you going to beat Ronda? What are you going to do about her arm bars? You know? I mean, think about that. What are you going to do about her arm bar? Oh, yeah, I'm not worried about that. Fucking only, 15 seconds in, the, you're arm barred. The only Fuck. question. The only question. The only question. Yeah, and, and then you get arm barred. Times that by 10,000 times every period of... <sighs> Of, of of three months prep. <laughs> yeah, it's a mind fuck. Yeah, it drives me insane. But I think someone like Joanna, who is a, a world champion already, she's so used to competing at an incredibly high level, and then she had to get like her bearings in the UFC. She had that uh, one really tough fight with Claudia Gadea, where it was neck and neck, very, very close fight. And then from then on, she's gone to just dominate. Yes. And I think that a woman like that, like if you could find someone like that at 135, it would be very interesting because although Ronda is getting better at striking, you very rarely, if ever, see her throw kicks. It's very rare. Yes. And for someone who's a good Muay Thai fighter, man, that is. And also, Ronda has notoriously has had problems with her knees. You, you know? I think you have to find someone that can fight going backwards as well. Mm-hmm. Because as yeah. soon as that bell wings, Ronda charges across the cage. Mm-hmm. And then anyone that's silly enough to stand in front of her and think they can strike standing on the spot. They're, they're going to get taken down straight away. Yeah. So you're going to you're gonna have to be mobile. Otherwise, she's going to grab you and flip you upside down and <laughs> on your head and inside out. And then... You're also going to have to be world class as an athlete. And I think that she is, but I don't think anybody she's ever fought is, except maybe Sarah. Um, you could say, well, who is um, um, not Alexis Davis, but uh, Sarah McMahon? Who's, is that her name? The, the Olympic gold medal, the Olympic silver medals in okay. wrestling? Yep. Yeah, she was obviously an excellent wrestler, you know, so you, you've got that. She was obviously an excellent wrestler, but as an MMA fighter, she just, there's like some holes in her game, you know, and she's, she's not very good off of her back either. She gets put on her back and she doesn't do so well. But I think Ronda's, she's a winner overall. Like, that's like the most important thing. Like, that person like the John Jones mentality, the person who just knows how to win yes. and is not going to get rattled by the pressures, not going to get rattled by all the hype and all the bullshit talk and is going to be able to go in there and perform at their at their maximum level. Ronda obviously can do that. you know. And she even said, recently she said the more fucked up and crazy her life is, the more fucked up and crazy things are, the better she fights. Hey, 
which is just nuts. The, 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 her last fight with um, Beth, um, that that right hand you landed, you don't, you've never seen an, another girl knock out another girl with a single punch like that. That yeah. was uh, insane. Not in MMA, at least. The only yeah. time I've ever seen that in um, in kickboxing. Well, you know what? Holly Holm has knocked some bitches dead with head kicks. Head, head kicks, yeah. but 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 a single right yeah. hand that was that was nasty. And it, it was nasty. It, it wasn't like she just a uh, flash knockdown either. Yeah. She was she was out. Oh, she was dead. She was dead. <laughs> well, she was hurt already. And then you know she tagged her. It was fucked up as she tagged her with the right hand. And then as she's going down, Ronda was already throwing the left. Yep. You know, and the left landed too as she was. Her body was already given out. Yes. That was nasty. That was, that was a wake-up call to a lot of people that she's, like, learning how to strike, too. But all with all due respect, Betch Cohea is a brawler. Like, her technique is its not that good. Yes. She throws, like, kind of arm punches, and she's, like, physically, like, b- bulldogish. You know, she's tough and strong, but she's not, you know, she's not moving like, like Yun Jacek. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's not moving like an elite striker. She's throwing barrages of punches, and the pressure for her must have been off the fucking charts. In Brazil, fighting Ronda Rousey, talking so much shit. And then she fucked up and talked about Ronda's dad and suicide and all that. And, oh, yeah, that yeah, that was and bad. the Brazilians kind of turned on her for that. Yeah. And then at the weigh-ins, the Brazilians were cheering Ronda, which never happens. <laughs> like, that's, that's how much she's transcended. She can go to Brazil. And then the Brazilians will cheer her. I've never seen that in my oh, life. Wait till she hits Australia. She's um she's 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 a global phenomenon. She's uh, amazing. Um, yeah. I think once once she hits Australia, I think the amount of support she's going to get there is going to be off the charts as well. Yeah, so it's going to be. Uh, and then I just wish Holly had more fights. You know, yes, in the UFC. I, I was going to ask you on the on the side, what do you think about that fight? And I think um, a little bit early for poor Holly, but she, yeah. she, she's she's amazing boxer. She's to to win so many mm-hmm. world titles in boxing. Oh but, yeah, but and then that that head kick's a killer too. But well, it's not that I don't think that Holly is capable. What I you know one of the things I said is like I don't I don't think that's a smart fight because I want to see her fight some more people. I want to see her fight Misha Tate. I want to see her fight you know uh, fill in the blank Amanda Nunes. I want to see her fight some tough girls and put on a show and then you know have everybody like clamor for it. Yeah, I think I believe you've mentioned Amanda before. Yeah, she's 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 a terror. She's well, awesome. she knocked out Sarah McMahon in her last fight. She was awesome. She's she, a beast, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, and and you can tell she wants it too. She's not she's not in there to, to be a statistic. She wants that title built bad. It is Sarah McMahon, right? Am I saying that? Make sure I'm right. I'm almost positive I am, but for whatever for whatever reason, I see her face in front of me, and for whatever reason, I, Sarah seems like I fucked up. Hey, I have too many names in my head, man. I really do. This is it. Yeah, it is right. Thank you. Um, uh, but I think Holly is f- physically very capable, without a doubt, and technically very capable, without a doubt, should be the best striker Ron has ever faced. Yes. No, no question about it. Yes. It's whether or not she can keep the fight standing. She can keep Ronda off her. Whether she could deal with the pressure when she goes out there and there's seventy thousand yeah, fucking yeah, people. It's gonna be insane. That's ten thousand more than we've ever done before. Yeah. So and it's already almost sold out. I think um, it's crazy. From fighting main events in Albuquerque to come oh. to, to come into Australia and fighting in front of our biggest football oh. stadium in, in Melbourne, and to look across the octagon at that blonde demon. Coming out to that fucking Joan Jett song, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anyone call her the the blonde demon before. She's a but... demon, dude. <laughs> There's no no question about it. When when you're locked in that thing with her, and she goes after those girls, that's a demon. 
Um, you know? So so after we did the, the podcast in February, um, I was lucky enough to go to the UFC here in the Staples Center. And then uh, we went to the weigh-in and it was very cool. And then uh, so so uh, Edmund and Rhonda were walking down the, the driveway to come into the hotel. And as, as a fanboy, I had my, my iPhone. I was like, oh, should I go ask for a photo? Should I ask for a photo? Oh fuck it, why not? And then and then and then I, I I've shimmied over like a little scared little boy and said, oh, oh excuse me, Ronnie, do you mind if I get a picture? And she goes, oh sorry, no photos until after the fight. And then um, Edmund had a, his arm around her and he, and he's looked at me, and then he stopped her and he goes, hey, this is the guy, this is the guy. And she's looked at Edmund and going, oh, so this is the guy. And he goes, this is the guy. So he, he's pushed her into my arms and said, oh, you got to get a photo with him. This, this is the guy. Well, Edmund knows who you are for sure. Yeah, he was, um, yeah. he was amazing. So then we, we took a photo and we, uh, she was, she's amazing. She's such a cool person. Yeah. Um, I was so scared. I was so starstruck. And then um, she was just normal. And then, uh, and then afterwards, I, I come down and got some a, a couple of drinks at the hotel bar there. And Edmund was there, and he made his way over to to come and have a chat to me. And then we, we just talked like uh, with long lost friends. He was he was such a gentleman as well. He was such a nice guy. Um, yeah, he, people get a they have a for whatever reason they get a, there's a misconception about what he's like. You know, I think part of it's the Armenian thing. You know, Armenians are just so they're so masculine. You know, and they, they have this certain way about them that a lot of people, they misread that, you know, they just, uh, they're fun people, man. They're, they're very proud, very fun people. I, I really, I'm a fan of Armenians. I really like them. Uh, Cause I seen the ultimate fighter too. So I was expecting a certain sort of presence, mm -hmm. but then when it was just, oh, he's a gentleman, he's, a, he's, he's awesome. He was so yeah, cool. He's a gentleman. He, and then, he, um, and then we just started talking about Muay Thai and fighting. And then, um, actually my wife used to fight on the same cards as him back in the day when he was competing. So, um, yeah. We, Where did we, he compete? Where did you, did you ever see him compete? Uh, no, they fought on the same cards here in Cali. In Buena Park? Buena Park. That's when you know you're fucked. <laughs> Fighting in, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Buena Park. Um, he's uh, he's done some great things with other fighters too. Like he's really improved Travis Brown's hands. Yep. You know he's done some real good work with him. Like you saw um, in Travis Brown's fight against Brendan Shaw, you saw some sharp combinations. You know, um, but then again, he got knocked out by Arlovsky in the fight afterwards. But that was just chaos. But I'd heard that, like, in the gym, it's an interesting dynamic between fighters. Like, sometimes fights, are, like, when you look at guys on paper, like, Travis was ranked number three in the world and Arlovsky wasn't. You know, Arlovsky was a, a guy that everybody thought was at the end of his, you know, his time. But Arlovsky has been a world-class striker for a long time. Yes. I mean, Arlovsky had been a heavyweight champion in the UFC, had a nasty power in his punches, you know, nasty right hand. And in the gym, there's no pressure. In the yes. gym, he could be himself. And in the gym, he had been used to bullying Travis around, apparently. He had been beating Travis up when they had, had sparring sessions. That was what the word was. So that when they'd gotten into the octagon together... Like, for everybody else, it was like, man, Arlovsky's got a tough fight. But for him, it's like, I've spotted this guy a hundred times. I'm going to go after him. And so they went after each other. And at one point, Travis had him down, man. Had him down and hurt bad. And Arlovsky came back from that and knocked him out. And, like, that was one of the craziest rounds in heavyweight history. Yeah, that was mad. That was Fucking so, madness. That, that was so cool. Wild, and, wild round. And then uh, Arlovsky goes and fights Amir. And I was expecting the same. Arlovsky, the rock up and same. I was expecting the same. Frank Mir, I was, yeah. I was expecting the same fireworks. And, unfortunately, it was, it was a little bit of um, not, not quite the same enthusiasm in, in, in that one. I think in that fight, 
I think one of the things that happens in really high-pressure fights, and I think this correlates with what we were talking earlier about pressure and about, like, you, you know, we were talking about guys that put too much pressure on themselves from shit-talking and they, they, they get too much emotionally wrapped up in it. When a fight is a fight where they say the winner is going to be the number one contender and will next fight for the title, those fights suck at least 50% of the time. Because at least 50% of the time, everybody locks up and nobody wants to do anything stupid because a win virtually guarantees you a shot at the title. Yep, yep. But but the fight wasn't good yeah. because neither guy pulled the trigger. And it was like it was very lackluster. Yep. It's like both guys were like hesitant. And, and even Arlovsky, even though he won the fight when I was interviewing him, he wasn't happy. Yeah, he was shaking wasn't his happy. head. He was devastated. He, Which is um, crazy. He won. He yeah. won. He he thought he was going to have the next shot at the title, but then you know, then the fight was bad. So that's one of the weird things about the UFC that people don't like, is that there isn't any like clear structure. Like when Misha Tate won, she was virtually guaranteed a shot at the title. Beat Jessica I, you got a shot at the title. She beats Jessica I, it's like ah, listen, surprise. It's not <laughs> you're not ready for that. Like what? <laughs> so she's she's actually she made some interview recently where she said that she should probably think about what she's going to do when she retires. And she should probably at least consider that. And I was like, whoa, she's like thinking about retiring? And that's an interesting thing when you look at the number one person in the division, which is clearly Ronda, who's made, I think she made like $6 million last year or $7 million, something fucking crazy like that. And that's in fighting. Forget about her, all these ads she's doing. She's in a million different fucking commercials. I mean, she's probably made that much on top of that with just ads and endorsements and movies she's done two big movies she's making fucking truckloads of money right and then there's Misha Tate who's the number two girl in the division arguably I mean even though she's lost to Ronda three times she's the number two girl in the division yeah. right yes and how much do you think she makes yeah. I mean is it it's a fraction a small fr and it's not like she's not hot she's yeah. hot as fuck right She's got a beautiful body, great ass. Uh, <laughs> sorry I said that. Sorry, Misha. I'll, I'll do respect. But she's a great fighter, too. She's very tough. I believe there's photos of you at the Wayne. Possibly. Um, I don't know if it was her. I think it was looking at Rhonda's ass. Yeah. I've looked at a few asses at the Wayne's. He had bored. There's nothing to do. I'm standing there. They're in their underwear, feet away from me. I'm not being a creep. Just doing my job. Um, but... You know, Misha probably makes a very, very small fraction of what Ronda makes. Yeah. And she's elite. She's an outstanding fighter. She's yeah. tough as shit, man. And, you know, and people love her. It's weird. Yeah. Oh, I believe she's into the movies now as well. Her, yeah. Her cyborg and Holly did that last one I'm on her Instagram and Facebook as yeah, well. Yeah, so. but who's making that movie? Who's going to see that movie? Yeah. You know, yeah. what is that movie? That movie's some fucking 3 a.m. Cinemax fucking zombie movie with <laughs> kicking zombies heads off or something you know it's like people when people would tell me oh he's doing movies now i'm like look i know a lot of people doing movies like what kind of movie yeah you know yeah, are, are they B doing a bj Penn did a couple of movies and um mm. yeah well even gina carano's done like she's done some big movies and she did that uh that one movie what was that movie that was, she was a star haywire yeah nobody saw it and then because nobody saw it nobody gave a shit about it it faded away and then you don't hear about her as a movie star anymore i mean she was she was that close yeah. that close to being this runaway train movie star
And oh, oh, she, there's Fast and the Furious, and there's all. I don't mm-hmm. know Fast and the Furious. Was she? Rhonda was in that. And Rhonda then, was in um, one of those, right? And then also uh, Deadpool. I think that mm-hmm. one's coming out. She's got a major part. Oh, in that as well. okay. So, Gina so, does. So that, right. Hopefully that might well, skyrocket her career. Oh, the, the the ads for the or the uh, previews for Deadpool look badass. It's a tough. My point is, it's a tough racket. Yeah, yeah. The movie business is a tough racket. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, Frank Shamrock saying to me once, like he's, he said he was going to get into acting. He's like, I'm going to take over the world of acting, same way I took over the world of fighting. I'm like good luck with that dude but you can't even control that it's not like you can run hills better than anybody and kick people's asses that you're when you're fighting you can be undeniable yes. you know you're fighting they they lock you in that octagon or you hop over the ropes into that ring and when the referee says fight there's nothing that can save that guy you know you storm after him and knock him out and you're the fucking king but in the world of acting my God, there's so many hoops and ladders and yeah. so much bullshit, uh, you, and it doesn't matter yeah, if you're coming, the best. Coming from you, you know exactly what's going on. You're, you've sort of, and I've, I've done some acting, but I've been very lucky to be like on the outside of it all, looking in, you know, because I was always a stand-up comic. I always had like that as my real career, and then this acting thing was something I did when they offered me money to do it. But it's not something I really chased after that much. Yeah. And so when I watched other people that were chasing after it, I got to see like the psychological aspect of it. You see people kissing people's asses because you want everybody to like you because you want to get cast in these movies and you got to make friends with the right social circles. You got to be on the right red carpets. Yeah. You got to support the right causes. You have to have the right political affiliations. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a mess, man. It's yeah. a fucking mess. You can't say anything controversial. Can't can't do anything too fucked up. You know, there's like there's certain things you can get away with as an athlete you could never get away with as an actor because yep. if you did they would just write unless you're like some fucking Johnny Depp style huge undeniable movie star you can get away with a lot of shit but that's just you become undeniable you have so much fan base yeah he's already he's already there so he can do what he wants now so yeah. it doesn't matter but even like Tom Cruise Tom Cruise fucked up and he started uh, he did a, a bunch of wacky interviews where he was talking about Brooke Shields and uh, Scientology yeah. Anti- antidepressants and, yeah and antidepressants and dude his fucking movie ticket sales just dropped after yeah. that and it took a while for them to rebound it took a couple of years yeah, from the rebound didn't yeah help, didn't help things at all no that's Wacky fucking shit, dude. But it's it's again, it's that weird world of acting. And you know, when Frank was telling me he was gonna take over that world, I'm like, Jesus. I mean, not doubting you, but good luck. Yay. It's a fucking different. It's not the same world. It's not like I'm gonna take over the world of being a marathon runner. Yep. Well, no one can stop you. The, the, everybody's at the starting line, ready, go. You get an equal shot. You're running the same road. Yeah, yeah. You're not running the same road when you're acting, man. Anybody ever talk to you about doing some fucking karate movies, uh, kicking some John Wayne Park yeah. style kicks in movies? Uh, we've, we've, I've dabbled a, a fraction, but only yeah. for, only for free. But not only just like shorts for the YouTube, but nothing, nothing for fun, just yeah. for fun. Yeah, yeah. Australian and, and, and stuff or American stuff? Uh, after I did the documentary with the Bus of Venom, we, we we played around a little bit, and then we went to Thailand, and then um, I was lucky enough to work with some Thai stuntmen. And uh, they'd work with uh, Tony Jar, and it was amazing. Ah, okay. yeah, that yeah. guy's incredible. So these the stuntmen that I uh, got to work with, um, you, you throw on an inch, uh, a punch, an inch past their face, and they literally throw themselves back ten feet onto concrete, onto their, onto their back. <laughs> You think that's and then and then they lay there Ouch. dead. They lay there dead for three seconds. Open their eyes. Okay, do it again. This time we're going to cut in a bit shorter, and then they throw themselves again and again and again. You gotta really and, know and how to fall, like, man. Shit. This is you don't have to do nothing. They sell it. They make it look amazing. It's like this I is, mean, the guys who fall, you they gotta yeah. really know how to fall and that's, not hurt um, themselves. That's yeah, a different different league. It's like. Pfft. 
Yeah, I'd rather punch someone in the face. It's a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather make my money through violence instead of pretending to be violent. And the documentary that you were talking about, if people didn't understand you through your thick Aussie accent, yeah. it's Blessed with Venom. Yes. And with uh, Venom. it's a great documentary, and it details your life and learning Muay Thai and moving to Thailand and living there and fighting there. And it's a really cool documentary, man. Um, thank you. Uh, so many people were messaging me saying, Joe Rogan sent me here on the, on the YouTube <laughs> comments saying, um, Thank you very much for the for Joe Rogan, uh, great documentary. So it's 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 uh, I was saying before, like when it got released in Australia, it was lucky enough to be open in cinemas. So we had cinema release, and then yeah, it just went nowhere. So we, it's on YouTube now. So if you want to have a look a bit, a, a bit not only about uh, my career, but also about Thai culture. So about yeah. an Aussie going to Thailand and learning the Thai customs and culture, and learning how to speak Thai, and eating on the floor, and sleep, sleeping on the f um, wooden floor, and training seven hours a day. It's pretty, and then fighting the killers too. I wasn't just going in there and making up numbers. I, I was lucky enough to start at the bottom, and then work my way, way up to winning. Um, Two world titles in Bangkok, so it's it, it's a it's a happy ending. Yeah, it's a fascinating documentary too, because like culturally, it's such a it's such a unique thing for someone to do to immerse themselves in the world of the Thai and of these Muay Thai fighters and live like they live and train like they live. And a guy coming from Australia and moving there and doing that, it's like a it's, it's, it's always to me amazing to watch someone just enter into a world that's so completely different than theirs and you, you barely had a grasp at all of the language and you know you're training with these guys that have been essentially preparing for fights the way they have the way they did it with you for hundreds and hundreds of years before you were ever born. Yeah, it's um, and then what happened was so say uh, I've moved into this camp and there's about 10, 10 fighters there and then uh, one night I've had my fight I've won I've gone to Padia with all the Westerners hang out uh, for a week's holiday and I've come back and all the other kids had, had run away so then there was only me and the superstar so now that I was giving them 50% of my prize money after every fight so now it was in the camp's best interest to try and make me as, as good as I could as fast as I could so I could win more fights and make more prize money so they get 50% more income oh. so the only way they could the only way they could survive is for me to become the best that I could so they could get more money if that makes sense yeah it so, does. that's what a fortuitous roll of the dice for you yeah so I was thrown under the I'm not under the bus but into the meat grinder look, look, looking back looking back <laughs> it was like the biggest blessing that could happen because if there was 50 people there I would have been stuck in a bag by myself but because right. I was only me and the superstar uh and then I, the superstar sang the he had no one what's his to, name uh his fight name was the deadly kisser the deadly kisser, the deadly kisser. So why he, is that um because there's so much gambling in thailand so if he thought he was beating his opponent at the end of the round he'd give him a kiss on the cheek and that would show all the punters okay i got this so they'd all bet on him <laughs> so they'll bet him so if you're being kissed by him it means he's kicked your ass oh no <laughs> so yeah the deadly the, kisser. the opponents know this nickname was the deadly kisser uh, if they if they gave yeah because after the round, the ding, he'd walk up and just give you a kiss on the cheek. And well, like, they were like, what the fuck, fuck man? You're fuck, not kicking my ass. Fuck, fuck, fuck Did fuck. people try to take away, they try to move away from the kiss? Uh, Raymond Decker. He, did he? He fought Decker three times. Oh, and then, um, really? Decker's like, no, get away from me and get those filthy lips away from me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, How did the fights go with him and Decker? Uh, it was 2-1. Um, Decker, De Decker won the last one. Um, Sanctum won the first two. The first one was Japan. The second one was Lumpini. The third one was in Holland. 
Uh, it was very, very close, but um, yeah, Decker was, uh, Sanctum was about 36, 37. It's like me versus Cosmo. Mm -hmm. um, now Sanctum was a little bit older. Decker was still in his prime. So um, he, he finally got one in his home country. That was live on Thai, Thai TV and Dutch TV. So again, making Decker the the legend that he is. And how old was Decker at the time? Uh, possibly about 34, 35. Um, but yeah, so that was and, and, towards and, the end of his run too, right? Yeah, like it, it was. He had a heart attack. He was only like forty-two or forty-three, right? Forty-four. Forty-four was it? in a park. That's what the fuck, man. Yeah. Um, How crazy! He was riding his bike, riding his bike in a Dutch park, and then um, yeah, he has a memorial there where they come and lay heaps of flowers, and I think um, they've they've spray painted the the little tunnel that is with a big um, memorial of Deck Decker, and it's it's um it's very. Yeah, uh, so what a crazy it's, it's, way to go for a world class athlete, world championship kickboxer riding a bike. Yeah, yeah. and at a relatively young age. Yeah, he was the king. Well, he came. He came to Australia and he hung out with me at my gym because uh, he was fighting a, a friend of mine. He was fighting. Uh, he had a. He was training a guy that was fighting fighting Nathan. So they needed someone to train for the week to prepare. So I was lucky enough. They the promoter rang me and said, hey, "Do you mind if Raymond comes and trains at your gym for a week?" It's like, oh yes. So um, yeah, I hung out with him morning and night. And what was he like? The, just the, the dude he was just uh, an animal uh, and so many stories it's like me and you I could just sit here and just listen to you all day like a little schoolboy, just he, uh, asking stories about, what's about this fight what about that fight do you have any injuries and then you, he'd just go on he just he, yeah it was um, just a little boy just listening to greatness yeah so it was it was um, it was really cool he gave me a pair of shorts that I have up in my gym that uh, I'm so proud of that wow. he fought multiple times in uh, but yeah, just um, the wars. He's a uh, Muhammad Ali of Muay Thai, pretty much. Yeah, he was the first, much. the first one to put it on the map to to say, look, um, there is a possibility for white people to beat Thais at their own sport in Thailand at the big stadiums, and yeah. not, not only win but knock them out in devastating fashion. So oh, his style was so aggressive too. God, it was so exciting to watch. He's one of my all-time favorites. And then Rob Kamen, who yes. was different because Rob was a bigger guy. Yes, yes. And, uh, but very technical. Yes. God, he has such a system. I, I had the honor of training with him quite yeah, a bit. Yeah. Oh, nice. And um, he's so technical, man. His system, he has such a system for, for uh, Muay Thai, you know, for kickboxing, for putting combinations together and, you know, and placement and movement and He's a fucking interesting guy, Rob Kamen, man. Very interesting guy. It was hard for him to get the same accolades as Raymond because Raymond was fighting the ties at their most craziest weight, at right. uh, the 63s, the mm -hmm. 61s, the 63s. So, whereas... whereas um, you say that, you mean kilos, which is like, kilos. what is that, like 135, 140 yes. or something like that? Yes, yeah. 135, 130-ish. Yeah. And then, uh, whereas, whereas Rob was a little bit bigger and he was fighting ties a little bit smaller, so mm -hmm. he was knocking him out, but at the same time, he should have been knocking him out because he, he, right. he's a big... Yeah. And then when you're fighting Western, versus Westerner, you're not going to get the same worldwide sort of... Right. Whereas Raymond was... He was fighting like the pure killers mm -hmm. at, at their at their weight, and um, not just beating them, but knocking them out. So, and then when the when the tires are paying attention, and the country's stopping to watch a Westerner come to their country to 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 knock out their their best, then you know you've made it. Yeah, he was a real phenomenon, and for and that's one of those things that for people that don't know the the sport or aren't aware of it, like you can go right now to YouTube and, and go on a journey through the world of 
of one of the greatest combat sport athletes ever. And Ramon Deckers has so many fights on YouTube. Yes. You can go and watch them, and you'll understand what we're talking about. When you just watch to that guy just slam those kicks in and attack with a barrage of beautiful punches, yes. he was a monster. And he then, was a monster. Uh, his pressure, too, he'd mm. push guys into the corner and onto the ropes, and then it wouldn't matter if he got hit 14 times on the way in. He, he'd just give me one. Yeah. Just give me one. Bang, 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 bang. And then... Boom, and then just knock him out unconscious. My style is yeah. so hard. It was, it was such it was, a hard style. He he did a seminar at my gym. There was um. He said just have three or four of us. We will just keep it tiny. We will just keep it really small. That's what he wanted. Yeah, three he, or four he, person he, seminar. Yeah, he didn't want he didn't want the big hundred people. He just said let's keep it six people max. Wow. Uh, no, he said let's keep it an odd number so I can join in. So, oh, and so then, like and five. Then, and then he took it turns of going one by one with us. And then uh, he, he'd say, okay, put your hands up. I'm going to demonstrate a demonstration. And he'd go, one, two, hook, leg kick. And then you're thinking he's, he's going to tap. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. And then chop. And then your eyes would go, bink. And go, what the <laughs> hell was that? And then so he, he hit he, you hard. He sort of looked at me as if it was. A, he was shocked that I, he hit me so hard. It, it, my reaction was what? I said, oh, yeah, that was crazy. And he goes, oh, in, Ho in Holland, this is normal. This is what we do because on the ring, there's no surprises. So if we train like this on the ring, there's, there's and I'm just looking at him going, dude, there is no way in hell I'd like to train with like this for, for especially every day for a couple of hours every single day. That'd be um, detrimental to, to my health. <laughs> well, ultimately, is do you think that that's part of what broke him down like as he got older? Like, he was devastated, like physically. By the time he was done, his ankles were gone. Yeah, possibly, possibly. And I think he got to the stage where his body was so destroyed, where he could only do pads. He couldn't even. Um, I don't think he could spar. I, I remember him telling us at lunch. He said, "Hey, I just do pads, pads, pads." And then it was, and because he was fighting so regularly, he didn't have to spar because he was fighting right. probably, possibly every two weeks or so. So, yeah, he was. Um, yeah, I just, uh, that's the eternal debate. Because like in in MMA as well, Joe Duffy was supposed to be fighting Dustin Poirier this past weekend in Ireland in a huge card in Dublin, sold out in like an hour. Just Irish love fights, right? Yep. And Joe Duffy's the last guy to beat Conor McGregor, and he's an Irishman, so everybody's excited to see him. The Saturday before the fight, a week before the fight, he gets a concussion. Hey, yeah, sparring hard, sparring hard, going after it, you yep. know, and um, they pull out of the fight. Yep. So he pulls out of the fight the week of, tried to, you know, they, they gave him some examinations and the doctor looked at him and said, listen, man, you, you got fucked up. Like you, you need a lot of time off. You need a few months off. You can't fight. Yeah. Count, and, count backwards from 10, apple, orange, lemon. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, that's the eternal debate. Do you, do you spar like the Dutch? Do you fucking go crazy like Melvin Manhoof and Mike's gym? You know, you just fucking attack, 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 and just take your lumps and deal with it, and just and then when you fight, you'll fight like that because you fight like that all the time. Yeah. Or do you take a more intelligent approach, like many fighters do, like the Thais do, where they yeah. spar and they don't spar hard at all? Yes. Right? Well, the Thais don't even. When I first got there, there was no shin pads or. Um, yeah, it was no. It was just. It was, and then you could almost wear bag mitts, and it was just tap, 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 tap. And so then it's just, you're just working on movement. No shin pads. So it'd be, it'd be shin on shin. It'd still be fast, and then you pull out that like, like karate, like mm -hmm. point karate style. Right. But it, it was toe boxing, and then um, you still know if you got got or got got or not. So if a, 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 the shin landed across your ribs, it'd be pulled. It'd be just a tap. Mm -hmm. and it's like damn it. 
and then um and then you'd you'd spar with the kids that were ten years old and saying, "Do you know shin pads?" And then no one got hurt. And then after three hours, you're still smiling, you're still joking, uh, but you've learned so much. You've learned mm. that you just got your ass kicked by a ten year old without getting um, beat up. If that makes right. sense. When we box, when we box, we spar about eighty, ninety percent. But when we, when we, when we kick and play and 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 clinch, uh, it's a bit more control. Oh, the clinch is harder, I suppose. But um, longevity because I, you can do that in a yeah, clinch. Well, the same I, like jujitsu, you can go full yes, blast. Yes, and you don't have to worry about it because you're not striking each other. Yeah, I've had um, one hundred and twenty-two fights now, and I'm that's I'm, fucking crazy. I'm, I'm sweet, and then I've had. Well, you listen to you. You're talking. You're fine. You know, there's no, there's no dementia. There's no slurring words. Have 122 boxing fights. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, yeah, so, uh, and then you, you hear about the MMA guys, and then if they have more than 30 fights, it's a, yeah. big, it's a big deal. Because, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so. But and then, then Jeremy Horn had over 100 fights, but very intelligent, fought real smart. Yep. Very bright guy, very technical, didn't, he's not a, like an athletic, powerful, super, you know, freak athlete. Everything he had to do was proper technique and intelligence. And to this day, over 100 fights, Jeremy Horn, like you would never know it, talking to him or looking at him. You yeah. know, he looks great, talks great. Yeah, majority of the ties have had uh, uh, two, 250 fights. And, and then, um, yeah, it's, it's just normal. It's 250 just, fights. That is fucking crazy. We, we had a 10-year-old kid in our camp that had 100 fights bef as a 10-year-old. He'd, he'd fight Monday, Tuesday, rest Wednesday, fight Thursday, Saturday possibly rest Sunday and then every time he fight he was making 500 baht 500 baht so then his parents didn't have to work almost he was making enough money as a junior fighting four times a week five times a week where um, he could support the family just as as a as a 10 year old wow so so yeah it's, 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 so for yeah. them over there it's a it's as a 10 year old if you're 25 kilos too you're not whacking with 100 percent power either you're scoring you're playing the game yeah right uh, it's not until you get into your, your 13s 14s and then you start using a bit more force and you start to get more damage on the shins and a bit more um, you got to be a bit more wary of the punching power but as a as a junior from say seven until 10 you can definitely get away with fighting three four or five times a week no problem well some people say that that's the best way to teach kids too because they learn before they can hurt each other yes and you you learn like how to move properly and your body develops like that yes. you know your body develops like there's people that are um that started out like they had like a martial arts background when they were young and then they started putting on weight like muscle weight but they're still like super flexible and it's because their body sort of developed throwing kicks and their body developed doing those motions. And if you can learn, like there's a lot of people that believe that as, as a boxer, that if you don't start when you're young, you'll never achieve like a Floyd Mayweather level or Roy Jones Jr. level. Like it's not possible. Yeah. They say it's not like your body has to develop doing that. Yeah, uh, in Australia, there's a big controversy right now because the athletic commission and the governments—they're they're all talking. They're talking. Um, they don't want juniors to compete in any form of combat sport whatsoever until the age of 18, which I which I think is ludicrous. Because if that happens, you've got uh, the it's rest dangerous. of the, the rest of the world that have already excelled mm -hmm. to a certain level, and if we don't start competing until 18, we're already behind the eight ball. We we're so far behind that. But that's so ignorant. That's ignorant on their part. That's yeah. people who don't understand combat sports because that's the time to learn. Yes, yes, and then, and then it's also you're not learning it. It's not about the fight. It's about the culture. You're right. It's about the lifestyle. It's about living healthy and training and training the body and getting flexible. And it's and, about getting over the fear of getting in competition as well. Yeah. It's about experiencing what young people are terrified of. Yes. Getting your ass kicked. 
and, um, and well, experiencing it in the gym, right? My daughter was lucky enough to start fighting at the age of eight. And, That's uh, hilarious. How many people say that? And then, my uh, daughter was lucky enough to start fighting at the age of eight. And then uh, <laughs> from the, the, I remember she walked in as as a, as a little baby girl, and I was I was so petrified as a father. But then she walked out like a woman. She walked out as a warrior, as an eight year old warrior. And then ever since she's had this passion for the fighting, she loves collecting trophies. She loves making the, um, uh, magazines and and doing interviews, and uh, it 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 makes you a, a, a become a better person. I believe. I think it it makes you evolve. Um, evolve is the right word. Yes, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It it, mm -hmm. it definitely. Um, People that have never fought will never understand what it's like to, to have that bond against someone to compete for a couple of minutes. And then after that, no matter what happens, I've always, with 122 people, I can say, um, I'm not just a friend, but I have, I've, I've shared a moment in time where me and you, we've we've went into a different dimension for that, that time that we fought each other. Does that make sense? Does that, it does you make know, sense. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. There's nothing that can erase that memory of me and you um, standing toe-to-toe -to -toe and exchanging blows. So yeah, I think yeah, I, I, this is why I love the sport so much because I have such a deep passion for it. Well, yeah. when I was watching that Cosmo Alexander fight, I was actually thinking that I was like, these guys are they sharing a crazy. Because I was also thinking like, you're 39 years old, and I don't know how much longer you can compete at this uh, elite world class level. You know, you're fighting in a world championship fight, and I'm watching this. I'm like, man, this is a this is an intense moment that these two guys are sharing. And afterwards, you guys are smiling and hugging each other, and I was like. Wow, those guys really did just share a very, very intense experience and a very intense moment that very few people will ever understand. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's such a it's such. And then to to erase that from uh, um, childhood memories, like for young kids not to have that experience, I th I think that's um, so sad because um, what's better, uh, especially coming from myself, if to go to school on fighting on Saturday in a tournament and go to school on Monday and tell on the boys um, oh yeah I got a gold medal for whatever competition whether it be judo jiu-jitsu taekwondo karate it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it's more it could be anything it's um, or even soccer football you've, you've, you've gone out in the weekend and, and you've excelled at that um, sport that you've uh, um, put your life into so and the, the boys come over to your house they have a sleepover you've got four or five trophies up on the shelf Nothing can make you more proud than, than to be in, oh, oh, yeah, they're from my fighting days. So, well, I think it also teaches you how to overcome very scary moments, very difficult moments. And I think when you don't overcome difficult moments, you always have that fear. Like, how, how would I do under pressure? What would happen to me under pressure? I mean, how would I do when the chips are down, when I'm nervous? I mean, and people who compete, they have the experience of doing that. And I think that's where character is built. Character is built through adversity. And I think to deny young kids the opportunity of that, especially out of ignorance, because if they don't, they don't understand that young kids don't get hurt the way adults do. I mean, you're fighting like, you know, you see a guy like uh, Gokan Saki fighting Tyrone Spong. Those are big boys. Yes. Big, heavy, throwing guys that are throwing fucking bombs. There's a big difference between that and two six-year-olds that are fighting Muay Thai with headgear on and yes. big gloves and, and, and shin pads in an amateur fight. Yes. What those kids are doing is they're learning how to do something that's very difficult. Yes. And that it's the overcoming same, that uh, that moment. The same you know? the same fear, but with the protection. So it's almost the same. I like what yeah. you said. On uh, I have I shared one of your uh, quotations on my Instagram the other day that that absolutely killed it about um, people that have never been in a street fight. Um, it's that same thing where you people that are 
you always say, oh, I'm just, I'm just I'm, that guy, pisses, he's pissing me off if I'm just going to knock him out. It's like, no, you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. You have no idea. If that guy hits you back, you know how much it's going to hurt. <laughs> you, that, 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 uh, well, what I said was that I don't understand how people who have never had any martial arts experience at all are willing to fight. Yes. Like, they're crazy. Like, they're fighting. On, I've seen people fight in the streets that you could tell when they're fighting that they have no fighting experience at all. They don't know anything. And yet they're willing to take a chance and fight some guy they don't even know, and they're gonna somehow or another they think they're gonna kick this guy's ass. Yeah, like yeah. you don't even know you don't know anything. They just yeah. just flailing. I've seen it happen. Yeah. It's it's terrifying. I don't understand it. I don't know how people are willing to do that. I'm so mad right now. I'm just gonna walk over there. I'm just gonna knock him out. It's like <laughs> it's not that it's not that it's not that easy. And then and then once that confrontation starts, if you hit that person and you don't knock him out, you're just gonna piss him off. Or you break your hand. You know. <laughs> I mean, how many times have people done that? Throw a punch and hit a guy in the forehead and just. Smash your hand open, or they they pull out, yeah. they they break a bottle, or they oh, pull something out of their Jesus pocket, or Christ. yeah, and then it gets yeah. this next level. It's life or death now. Yeah. Great, and you don't know what, how to fight at all, and you're in a life or death situation where you just hope this guy doesn't kill you. Jeez. You know, let's hope somebody that rescues you beforehand. It's terrifying, you know, especially because the different there's a there's a big difference, and I think that's where a lot of people get confused when it comes to martial arts, and they equate it with violence. The, the 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 competition of a fight or of a, an event like a, a martial arts event is is a very very different thing because you're preparing for a skill contest and the skill contest may be dangerous and there's a there's possibly violent endings to these things but it's not violence in the sense of you're not like trying to go out and find someone and make them your victim yes. what you're doing is you're trying to compete you're yes. competing and in doing so. You, you learn something about yourself and you develop a confidence that for someone who's never competed like that, you'll never totally understand. Yes, a violent game of chess. Yeah, so, and even more crazy than chess, especially MMA, because there's so many more, there's so many moves, there's so much going on. It's like if, you, if you're playing chess, you have so much time to think about it. Yes. Unless you're playing that speed chess shit where they're hitting the clock. But when you're playing chess and you're overlooking this board, I mean, not taking anything away from chess, because chess is a fascinating game, and there's so much complexity to it, and there's so many different moves, and so many different possible combinations, but believe it or not, there are more possible combinations in fighting. There's more possible combinations. The outcome is more terrifying. More is at stake. Your physical health is at stake. You're gambling your health. On discipline, you have to get up in the morning. You're, you have to overcome your body being tired and sore and you got to get up when you don't want to when that warm bed is calling you you got to put on your fucking running shoes and you got to go do your road work and you got to do your strength and conditioning and you got to spar when you don't want to spar and your body's starting to get run down and you got to make sure you get the right amount of sleep you got to make sure you get the right amount of nutrition there's all these variables emotions the the physical fear the fear of your own demise not the nerves of a i'm sure chess players get nervous before they have a match but do you think they get nervous the way a fighter gets nervous yeah, yeah, I don't think it's possible then I have to go in the hospital after that yeah, um, yeah and then they don't, there's no fear oh am I going to get knocked out am I going to get cut yeah. um, uh, when I compete uh, I try to tell people that are coming up through the sport oh what's it like to have your first fight it's it's like we were saying before once that the bell rings everything goes numb 
and you don't have time to think, so you have to take yourself, everything's on that muscle memory. So, so many times I've, I've been punched at or kicked at or, or an elbow is thrown and, I, and I've blocked it with a, a quarter of a second to go. And, it's, and I'm thinking in my head, if that had hit me flush, I would have been knocked out. But um, somehow or other, my, my body knows the blocking time, the counter in time, and then I don't hear anything. I don't see anything besides my opponent. Uh, I can't, uh, yeah, I'm just in this different world. And then the end of the end of the the fight, the bell rings, ding, and all of a sudden it seems the world opens back up again. I'm back on the chair. I can hear voices again, uh, and then I can't remember the fight. The, the fight's just a blur. Um, it's not till people say, "Hey, do you remember this or that?" or till you watch the replay on the on the on the phone or the internet or the replay. But um, it's it yeah, you just you into a different realm completely. It's um, such a unique experience to. To, to turn off your brain and just rely on um, pure instinct. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, again, that's why I love it. I love it so much. Well, it's got to be an intensity that no one else could ever understand. And that's probably a bond that you share with those people that you get into the ring with, like Cosmo Alexander, that the, the, the average person would just never be able to understand what you guys have gone through. Yeah, and then the the idea you've been cut and you can the one eye is blurry from the blood and you and you don't want to wipe it because that's a tell from your opponent that the blood's starting to annoy you. So you got to mm -hmm. try and stay there with one eye all red and bloody and yucky and you can feel the stickiness in your eye, uh, and you can feel the pain. You can feel your eye throbbing, and then you've you got to turn off. Uh, it's such a you got to take yourself such in the in, you got to, to go uh, so much soul searching to to keep focused on on being violent and trying to win no matter how even though you're losing you know that you have to try and come back and still still knock this guy out it's, and make adjustments and make adjustments and just and, and turn the pain off yet still trying to focus on how am i gonna this what i'm doing is not working so i have to try and up the ante and try something else and that might get me in more danger again where i might get even more cut or might or more beat up or another knee to the face so, do you ever work with a hypnotist or a psychologist or sports psychologist or anything like uh, that? I I I know uh, Vinny Shawman. Yeah, I, I, I know I, Vinny. I, 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 I'm good friends with Vinny, but I, I never work with anyone. I you know. Try it with Vinny. Vinny's. I, I did. I I was I was wondering. I was like, what is this? Yeah. Hypnosis and Vinny put me under. Yeah. Vinny. But I I knew I was under. But I was like, whoa, this is a strange state hey. he puts you in. Yeah. Vinny's He's a cool. very interesting cat. Vinny's Vinny's cool. He came out to Australia with a, a friend of mine, Andy Hallison, and then. Uh, um, they, they were they hung out for a week and we were good buddies. But uh, and then in Australia as well, there's a lot of uh, mind coaches as well that I've mm -hmm. noticed that are starting to appear out of somewhere. But because I've been in Thailand so long, I don't believe I I need mind coaching. I believe I'm already at that stage in my life where I I know exactly what I want. Uh, same with this world title with Cosmo. I know I wanted it. I didn't need someone to tell me that I wanted it. I know I want it. And when I lose it, I'm just fucking pisses me off but <laughs> well, I, I, I think um a lot of people have that thought about what it is and i i did as well like oh well what you're gonna do is it's gonna solidify what you want and you go after it i don't necessarily think it's that what Vinny, instead of hypnosis, what Vinny likes to think of it as like you're optimizing the pathways for your focus. And instead of like saying, I know what I want, I'm going to go get it. It's sharpening that to a razor's edge. And I think that, um, I think you should, I think everyone should look into it. Not, not necessarily saying that everyone should implement it. Like, like here's a perfect example, like Roy Jones Jr. in his prime, I would say just do everything you're doing. Don't change a goddamn thing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when he was fighting and just 
moving like no one has ever moved before, knocking guys out with combinations that were just ridiculous. Like, how could you say that guy needs to go to a mind coach? Yeah. You, you can't, right? But I really honestly believe that e even though I would say just do whatever you're doing, if he did go to a mind coach, it would probably take it to an even different level. Yeah. Probably take it to an even higher level. I think that everything you do, everything you do, as good as you're doing it, you could do it better. Yep. I think everything can be optimized, you know, and I think everything has layers and levels to it. And to say this is good enough, this we're done here, I just think, honestly, it almost like it disrespects the process of evolution. Yes. It disrespects the process of, of getting getting better at it, of greatness. Yep. Like for every Roy Jones Jr., there's a guy watching Roy Jones Jr. and thinking, I got to figure out a way to beat that motherfucker and training harder. And maybe he has just as many physical gifts. And maybe he has just a slight edge in some sort of a weird, strange way because he's been watching Roy Jones Jr. compete. I, mean, I don't know, man. I think that this sport is all about like minute differences like all combat sports just like i you know who nick Curson is no. strength and conditioning coach really a highly highly respected trains um rafael dos Anjos, who's the ufc lightweight champion yep. and trains uh ruslan pravodnikov a famous boxer and a bunch of uh, other elite athletes uh, uh done I, some work with yes. joe Schilling now yes, too yes, he's yes, doing yes. some work with joe Schilling, and um he said something really interesting when um rafael dos Anjos beat anthony pettis and he said you know, one of the things that we did with him, um, these uh, all these uh, strength and conditioning drills, it's about executing and getting there just slightly faster. And he's like, even though he dominated that fight, think about those exchanges. He dominated those exchanges by maybe a half a second. Like he landed a half a second quicker. He was a half a second, reco his recovery was just a little quicker. He was able to re-engage just a little quicker. And those little tiny edges, those little tiny edges means he lands first. And it means he's dominating. And even though his advantage, like physically, his advantage of execution was so small, it was enough. Yep. Those little advantages are enough to win a fight. Yep. And it's incredible when you think about it that way, that this sport is just, a, it's a matter of like these incremental increases in ability, incremental advances. Yeah, I, it's so fascinating to me. I never grow tired of it. Um, I guess I'm sort of a, in the caveman era too, where I, I believe... That, like, I, I think what the mind coaches are doing are, are, are awesome, but at the same time, I don't need someone to pat my back and say, hey, you're doing a good job. Right. Okay. I, I don't had think a, they're I, doing that, though. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're doing that. Talk to Vinny. I mean, maybe maybe um, he can give you a bit of an insight on it. Yeah. But I think you're right, too. You know, I'm not saying he's right and you're wrong. I think you're right, too, because you're a proven champion. You know, and that mindset, the steely determination that you've developed, like nobody needs to tell you how to do it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I firmly believe you're one of those guys you can wake up at three o'clock in the morning and say it's go time. Yeah. And you put your shorts on, wrap your hands and you don't know what the fuck to do. You're just going to fall into it. You know, it's your thing. Yeah, you've been I, doing it forever. Um, I, Because I, there's a, a gentleman in Australia that's doing it. And then if someone's having a bad day, I know they call him and say, oh, mate, I had a bad session. What do I do? Oh, mate, don't worry. Tomorrow's a new day. You yeah. Can, where I know, okay, today I fucked up. Tomorrow I'm gonna I'm gonna train harder and make sure that doesn't happen again. You're your so, own mind coach. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and then I got no one else to blame but myself too. Right. So um, I'm very lucky in Australia that I own, I own the gym. I'm a, my own trainer, my own manager. I, I do all my all my nego nego negotiations with uh, promoters. 
I, I have my friends that come in, like Kevin from New Zealand here, that um, comes and helps me. Uh, and we, we work on different, we talk. Uh, I, I give him ideas of what I want to do on the pads. Uh, so, so everything I'm, I've, I'm in control of my own destiny, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got no one dictating me what to do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I was the one that reached out to, to Scott Kent to try and get online. I'm the one that's reaching out to all these different guys. So you um, like that, but some people don't, right? Some yeah. people like they're, they just don't want to train. They don't want to think they want their manager to tell them who to fight. Yeah. They want everything set up for them and they just want to concentrate on training. Yeah. Um, um yeah, well, because I finished Thailand, when I moved back to Australia from Thailand, there was there was no one for me there. So I opened a gym because I needed somewhere to train. So I had to teach classes to pay the rent so I could still have somewhere to train. And that sort of blossomed into the, the gym started being successful. So then I started having more guys train underneath me that wanted to fight. Then all of a sudden I'm working their corners and learning how to wrap hands. And, and now I'm trying to do everything. And then also at the same time trying to create my own career as well. So I've been, yeah, so lucky that it, I've been, yeah, there's, it just, it's just sort of happened. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that I wanted, it's not like I wanted a coach. I, I'd love to have a coach, but at the same time, it, it's what I've been doing has been working and I've been lucky enough to be successful. So where would you train if you, if you didn't have to run your school and if you didn't have to, where, is there a place in the United States or in Thailand or anywhere in the world where you would train? Thailand was perfect for the um, four or five years and then, uh, it, it, Definitely, definitely grew out of that, and when it was time to come to Australia, it was perfect. And then, but where would I train? You grew out of it. How so? Uh, the the fights were so high for so small money. So mm. so high level fights, very dangerous fights. Very dangerous fights. Again, with guys with 200, 300 fights, and then your mm. prize money is enough for a happy meal. Fuck. <laughs> so Fuck. it was crazy. And then by the time you convert that happy meal money to Australian money, um, yeah, you're buying a pack of chewing gum. God so, damn it. Yeah, What's of, the cheapest you ever fought for? Uh, the cheapest I fought for was a thousand baht, which was twenty five dollars. Oh my god. Yeah, but then and the, then you have to pay money to the gym yeah, and then you gotta think about training expenses and food yeah. you're losing money so, a lot of money so yeah it sort of sucked but then i worked my, i worked my way up and then my last fight in thailand was for a million baht which was a, approximately thirty-five thousand australian and then uh that's not bad right yeah if that's okay but and it was then, probably like a super elite world-class fight yeah and then from there i've been on the, the on the 30s the 40s for the last 10 years so so I've been very fortunate that way that I've, I've enough to su survive and live comfortably and, and mm -hmm. only have to train and look after the gym. And uh, where a lot of other people that I manage and then um, if they're lucky to, if they get $3,000, they've, they've hit the jackpot. <sighs> so it's such a hard sport to try and become a, a superstar. It's so hard. So if there was one place where you would train, if you had, you know, you, it was totally up to you. I guess, I guess Holland. 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 Which probably. gym do you know? Mm, good question. I'd probably train uh, with Core Hammers. Core Hammers is a he's legend. Got, he's got the the writing on the board, the board with um, uh, Raymond, and then uh, uh, what's the gentleman now that trains at a Glory uh, that's doing this? Nicky Holson. Nicky Holson. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's with Core Hammers. Though. He I, was for a while. I don't know if he yeah, is anymore. Yeah. I, I believe he's still with that 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 circle of guys. He's a beast, though. Yeah, God, he's, he's, he's so he's, good. He's amazing. Yeah, he's, um, he's excellent. He, he's one of my dream fights. I, I, I'm probably a little bit older fighting now because he's in his peak and I'm a little bit older. But he was one of the guys that was always I always thought that we'd cross paths, but we never did. What? Wait, is he? Um, he's uh, Glory. 70, 76, I believe. Oh, 70. 77. Uh, uh, George's weight, uh, Walter. 
Okay, so it's 170? I believe so, yes. Yeah. yeah, so he's, yeah, he's a little heavier, a little more like Cosmo Alexander. Like Cosmo, yeah. and, a, and a killer too. He's yeah. got dynamite. Uh, nasty left hook. Nasty, nasty punches, just like mm -hmm. just like Raymond. Um, yeah. Very similar. Well, he was a Raymond Decker mini-me. Mm -hmm. so, well, he has a very technical style, though, very intelligent. You know, like when he fought good, Raymond a, Daniels. A, a good high knee as well. Yes. The, the knee to the face yeah. is a killer. When he fought Raymond Daniels, Daniels throws all those wild combinations and crazy shit. You know, he just walked him down, figured out how to keep the pressure on him, throw a lot of leg kicks, throw combinations, rip that left hook to the body, yep. and eventually he took him out. And once he presses him into the corner too, there's no yeah. escape. And he's got he's got that nice switch knee to the face. And well, then... Raymond Daniels is an interesting case. You, do you know who he is? Yes, yeah. yes. They fought uh, he, twice. Yeah, they fought twice and he stopped him both times. You know, Raymond Daniels is an interesting case because there's a guy who was elite at a very odd style of fighting. He was elite at point karate. Yes. And if you watch his point karate fights online, you realize, like, God, this guy just blitzes in with this crazy shit and then they would stop it. Yes. And point karate, for people who don't know, is like a, a really high-level game of tag with karate. Because once you touch the guy, like literally touch them, they stop it and they score the point. So it's very difficult to transition from that into continuous fighting. Like when you fight in kickboxing or in Muay Thai or in MMA, when you hit a guy once, he hits you back, you hit him again, and it's all about hitting and not being hit and movement. What, what karate, what they get really good at is this blitz where they jump on you and ta-ta! But they have to get used to you hitting back and the referee not stopping the action. So credit to Raymond Daniels, he went from doing this one style of like jumping in and, and hitting a guy once to this continuous style and then also factor in leg kicks because in these karate tournaments you can't kick the legs so he's jumping in with all these wild kicking and punching techniques and then he goes from that to this incredibly difficult grueling style of fighting the guys have their hands up very high they're throwing a lot of leg kicks and and he's excelled at it except at the very elite level when he's fought the very best guys like joseph valtellini stopped him same thing attack the legs attack the legs get him to block the leg goes up high and head kicks him but it's utilizing the muay thai style to defeat this style where he just he's got so many tools but he doesn't quite have all of it together at a world-class level yeah, but yeah, if you yeah. let the guy fight on the outside man he's got that blitz yep. that blitz and those wild kicks it's really interesting man. yeah very unorthodox out of the the spins yeah and the, and the jumping but you gotta wonder man man with a guy with those type of skills if he could get his hands at the same level as like a nikki holtzkin or a valtellini and get those leg kicks at the level that those guys have like poof yeah yep. man yeah, no, it's crazy. He's um, yeah, yeah. But but Nicky Holson, he's a uh, I don't know anyone who can fight him right now. He's probably the the king mm -hmm. uh, at that weight division. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of talent and glory. It's it really drives me nuts to seeing seeing that them leaving Spike TV. It really bums yeah, me out. Yeah, I, I don't know what's gonna happen now because the without them and the prize money and without, <sighs> without the again without the exposure, where yeah. what happens now? What happens to the, Lion fights the the only channel to go now, I suppose. And now Bellator is doing um, the kickboxing version as well with their last show with the the ring in the cage. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting. But that uh, was combined with Glory. Yeah, oh, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that was what they were doing. You know, I mean, they were just trying to have like a big, crazy, like Japanese style event. You know, I don't know, man. It just bums me out. It just bums me out that it for whatever reason it didn't catch on. Yep. Yep. You know.
And Spike is obviously where the UFC took off, so it's not like it can't happen there. Yep. But whatever reason, it just didn't. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. It's hard for us strikers. We um, yeah, have to get the steel cup on the corners in between fights. Then ching ching. Any got any change? Pass the hat around. <laughs> what about in Holland? Is is it? Do they make money in Holland fighting? I, I believe. Uh, they shut down all the big shows. There's a massive show called Showtime where they used yeah. to have well, half a football stadium, and I believe they had like thirty to forty thousand people um, that would come to these events three or four times a year. And then apparently the the Hell's Angels were involved with uh, a little bit of washing, <sighs> washing this and that, and then um, they got banned from doing the big shows. So that's why there's nothing happening in Holland now. Fuck. Yeah, again, again, it was that that was the place to go, Holland and Showtime. And Cosmo was a former um, Showtime champion also, mm -hmm. and uh, Badahari. 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 Love watching yeah, that yeah, guy fight. Good. He's fucking crazy. Uh, Sammy Shield, all yeah. these crazy killers, um, all the Dutch. It was such an amazing show. And then because they knocked it on the head, now there's where do you go? They're, like that was the besides um, Thailand, Holland was the place, and now now that's dried up. Now it seems that maybe you know, Japanese can fucking pick up the slack and come back with K1 again. Yeah. Because I know they're trying to do a new MMA promotion. They have Fedor for New Year's. Yes. yes. But here's a the problem: there's no heavyweight talent out there. They can't find Fedor an opponent. Someone said his opponent's four fights or something with two. Wins oh, that guy! And, they pulled that guy out. Yeah. Apparently he's was, not in shape. That was that was a, an Indian gentleman, I believe, from that, India. That, that, um, I don't even. I know who he is, but he's not. It's just not world class. He's not not for a guy like Fedor. Yeah. Like you know, you're talking about arguably the greatest heavyweight of all time, and you're gonna have him fight a guy who's just nowhere near his league for a New Year's Eve show. That's crazy. Yeah, you need world-class talent. There, there was so much excitement when the, he, he announced that he was coming back, and then there was the talk. Well, he's of, supposed to fight in the UFC. That's what he's supposed there, to do. There was talk of the UFC, then there was talk of going to Bellator, then he was going to make the big announcement, and then, um, and then okay, we're going to Japan. Well, I think at least Spike TV is going to air the fight. I think they, they did something in conjunction with Spike TV for, for this event. So I believe, uh, I don't want to... I'm just pretty sure that it, it's in conjunction with Spike TV, okay, yep. the, the Fedor. But who the fuck is he going to fight? There's no one out there. Unless yeah. Randy Couture comes out of retirement. Yeah, And then and um, Randy's 50-whatever years old. And then you're going to need a, a strong undercard to support it as well. And everybody signed. Everyone signed yeah. with either Bellator or UFC. Or, it's crazy. It's, um, or World Series of Fighting. Between those three shows, they, they have everybody. Yeah. So I mean, Bellator doesn't even really have a heavyweight champion. You never see their heavyweight champion fight. I mean, who the fuck is their heavyweight champion? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't think the guy has fought. I don't think their heavyweight champion has fought in like two years or something crazy yep. like that. Yep. It's a mess, man. It really is a mess. It's just, it's, it's very unfortunate. I would like, if, uh, just, you know, I'd like to see him fight a quality opponent if he's going to come back. And yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like the uh, like the pro days, that would have been amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, they did it before. Why can't they do it again? You know. I mean, I think it it's got to be. There's got to be some upstarts, some young up and coming fighters out there all over the world that are very talented. It's a matter of how having a quality talent scout who really is deep in the game, who understands fighting, who can go out there and recruit those guys at a young age, and then have. Well, the Japanese also, there's another angle that must be considered, is that the Japanese became big, the, the organizations, by having pro wrestlers fight in MMA matches like Takata. When Takata fought Hicks and Gracie, Hicks and Gracie was the man in the fucking Brazilian jiu-jitsu world, right? And he was the man in the Gracie world. Like, 
when Hoist Gracie was winning the UFC, he always said, listen, my brother's 10 times better than me. And he always said that. And then his brother goes and fights for Japan Valley Tudo and becomes a superstar in Japan. And then his brother, people don't know, Hickson fought in the very first Pride. Hickson fought Takata. And so when Hickson was fighting in Japan, Hickson was a superstar. Takata was a pro wrestling superstar. And that's what made Pride take off. And then, obviously, they were doing these gigantic arenas, Saitana Super Arena, and these huge fucking venues and New Year's Eve shows and... They have to figure out how to rebuild that, but I don't even think pro wrestling is where it's at yeah. in anymore in Japan. I think Japan they get fickle, you know. These young kids they dress like Elvis, they dye their hair purple, and then next year, you know, they become accountants and they, you know, that's yeah. the new thing. They have like these weird fads they get into. Um, oh, what's the gentleman that uh, uh, Genki Sudo? Yeah. yeah, he turned into the the singer rock star. Robot dancing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly like you're saying. What one day here, MMA superstar, uh, Muay Thai. Yeah, well, he's MMA as well. He's yeah, he, he was everything. Very like good grappler. K one MMA, and all of a sudden he's doing yeah, uh, rock star. Yeah, he's uh, he was he's cool. a character. He, man. He's, he's a man. He was he was uh, what can he do? That bloke. That was awesome. Well, he's uh, also he, he fought Butterbean in MMA. He fought he um got him in the Butterbean. Uh, yeah, yeah, the big heavyweight boxer. He yeah. did the the jumping back kick off the top rope, and then um got him in a heel hook, I believe. Yeah. Or, yeah, and then um, yeah, that was nuts. And he was outweighed by like oh, fuck, man, crazy. at least one hundred fifty pounds, right? Yeah, Butterbean's got to be three hundred pounds. Yeah, 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 plus madness, pure madness. And then the, I don't know how the promoter can stay there. Go, oh, I got a good match. What is uh, what it was? <laughs> so how do you even justify putting that on and then sitting back and going, oh, this is going to be awesome? It's well, just, they put on a lot of freak shows in Japan. A lot of freak shows. That but, was one of the other things that they did to attract attention. They had guys that were fighting guys way smaller than them. You know, like um, oh, the Thai. They remember the the Thai kid, ah, I Mighty Mo, Mighty and he Mo. fought. Uh, uh, what's, fuck, what's uh, his name? Cal Clay. Yes, Cal Clay. Cal Clay. Cal Clay yeah. did the jumping, jumping round, round kick. kick to the Woo! head, and then and then brought the leg back and hit him with the heel on, on the way down. Yeah, I think he was outweighed by at least. 70 kilos yeah, at, least, at least at least um mighty was, mo was a bomber too that was uh that was like a uh you were going to see someone get killed yeah but mighty mo was gonna uh put him in i would fight with his hands down too yeah almost he was, like a taekwondo he, fighter it was crazy yeah. and then uh he was fighting them regularly he fought yeah. uh hong man Choi from korea yes, he did that's the, right the seven foot two <laughs> blue haired <laughs> monster <laughs> And then, yeah. uh, and then should have beaten him too, but, but they wanted to create him. They, they tried to build Hogman Choi up so he'd become the next K1 star. But in theory, if you watch the fight, um, Cal Clay should have won that one. Yeah. A 70, 76 kilo, 5 foot 10 tie versus 7 foot 2 Korean beast. And, and then landed a head kick too. Yeah. You see one of the photos where his legs <laughs> completely vertical. Completely split, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah well, what happened at K1 Max? They had some wild fights over there. Remember when Masato yeah, was over yeah, there? I was K1 for two years. And K cool Vince Phillips came over, the yes. former uh, boxing champion, yeah. and fought Masato in a kickboxing fight. Yeah. Got his legs destroyed. He, he fought um, uh, the handsome uh, MMA guy as well. Uh, he fights for UFC also. Oh, what's his name? Can you please tell me his name? Uh, handsome. Uh, Sexy Yama. Oh, he fought sexy Yama MMA. Did he really? So what happened? Vince what, Phillips did. Yeah. Oh, how dare uh, he? Not Vince. Was it Vince? He fought one of the boxer, one of the boxers from America. Hmm. So he's come over and, and fought MMA. He fought huh? MMA for the first time, and then we were catching a, a lift together in the hotel, 
And I asked him, I said, oh, I say, what's your game plan? Have you been doing much MMA? And he goes, I'm just going to treat it like a street fight. Oh, I'm just going to I'm just gonna punch that motherfucker in the face. And once he realizes my power, and it's like, oh. That always man. works. Yeah, so I, I gave him a tap on the shoulder. <laughs> it's like, oh, good luck with that. And then, uh, and then, the and then after is. the fight, we caught the same lift back to the room. And, and those motherfucking Japanese set me up, man. They knew, they knew damn right I had no chance in hell in that fight. It's like, well, oh, what did what he think? Did you expect? Of course you're gonna. Get and then the funny thing was, he was talking a whole lot of shit at the um, press conference. And then, oh, Francois Botha, not Botha, no. No, he, he fought it, Botha though. Uh, that was uh, he submitted him, and Botha was a former boxing champion who fought K1. He, right? he came from. He was an American boxer from, I believe it was Texas. He fought Sexyama. I think it was 2005. Hmm. Uh, I don't know who the fuck it was. Yeah. So any anyway, um, yeah. At the press conference, he's talking all this stuff. So during the fight, there were so many times that the the American boxer was given his arm, and then he just pushed the arm out of the way and just ran ran down punches more and more and more. He wanted to punish him instead of tapping him out. It was oh a, really? It was um, it was quite quite crazy. Was, I don't know who the fuck it was. I'm looking at his um his record, and I don't see anybody in there that I recognize as a uh, as a boxer. Michael Lerma? I don't know who that is. Yeah, it was like a special... Because it was K1 card as well as K1 Max card, and they, they threw in an MMA fight there just for um, oh, shits okay. and giggles. K1 Max, it was Michael Lerma. I don't know who that dude is, though. I don't know. Well, let me Google him real quick. Is there an American flag beside it? Yep. Yeah, he's a boxer. Yep, visit page. K1. Yeah, that's who it was. That's who it was. Iron Horse Boxing Club. Yep, that's him. I'm just going to kick his ass, bro. <laughs> <laughs> kick his ass. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, yeah so, shit doesn't so, really work. So no, no, no. And then they they do it all the time. The, also, they had a, a Japanese boxer versus Masato as well, and the same deal as well. He didn't learn how to check, oh. and Masato just went in there and just destroyed his legs. Masato was an excellent fighter. He yeah, was Masato, very, very good. He, he's um, he's uh, he was the man that every single person wanted to fight because he he was the one that was rocking up to the Wayans in a Ferrari. He he was yeah. the Conor McGregor of uh, MMA back uh, of, of K one sorry. But he wasn't talking. The, was he talking shit? He didn't have to. Right. He, he was doing all these. He he was actually silent. He was like this. You mean Conor McGregor? I mean, they was stylish and he had yeah. nice clothes on suits. He, he, and, he was doing the Rolex uh, commercials and he uh -huh. was driving like the Ferraris and he was he had the hairstyle where he had the the blonde tips and uh, every single girl would that every single. A forty thousand seat arena, Hi. and, and um, all dressed, all dressed to the, the, pretty much. And then um, the little golf clubs when they come out, just the pure excitement yeah. of just being in the same room as him. He was a beautiful man. He, he um he was he retired young too. Yeah, he and then once he retired, K one collapsed probably a, a year later because they didn't, they didn't have the star anymore. Without that, um, without one one fighter. He was the the pinnacle. He was, and I, I wanted to fight him. And then every single person wanted to fight him because uh, if you beat him, that was going to launch you to the stratosphere of just becoming an, an overnight uh, phenomenon. So he fought Borkow, right? Uh, yes, the same year that I fought Borkow. I fought Borkow first in in the first fight, and then um, it was Masato Borkow final, and then Borkow uh, should have won after three. They called it a draw. And the Masada's eyes closed. Um, he had a limp. He's probably, I think he started urinating blood the next day. And they called it an extension. And they was, a draw, one more round. And Masada's looked at Borkow's going, oh, no. 
this isn't going to be good. <laughs> so then um, Borkow's gone out there and done the business for another three minutes. And then they've awarded the, the, the K1 Max title to um, Borkow. But um, then the next day you heard, yeah, Masato wasn't healthy. Yeah, he, They should have stopped it. But because he was Japanese, they wanted... The, wow, they wanted to give him a chance to win. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's not good. And a guy like that, it's interesting that he never came back. Uh, but, but Masato ended up winning the K1 Max twice. So to his credit, he's um, he'll be undeniably the, the greatest... Because Jap- uh, in the heavyweights, they had... Uh, what what was the what was the heavyweight champion's name? I'm uh, not champion. The heavyweight uh, 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 Masashi Masashi Musashi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he never sort of excelled no. to their level yeah. where Masato did. So for Masato to win the K1 twice against uh, legit uh, world killers, um, yeah, he's uh, he'll well, he one. was a real world championship yeah, caliber yeah, kickboxer. He was, he was a man, and really probably the only Japanese that fought at that level. I, I think if it wasn't for K, if it wasn't for Masato, there would have been no K1 Max. Yeah, he, he was the he was the kid that shined that said, "Yep, we need to make a seventy kilo division because um, this kid's gonna take us all away and and put us on the world stage as legitimate um, as a country." So, but it's it's unique in combat sports that he decided to stay retired. Yes. You know, I want, and I wonder what that was. It was just probably the punishment from some of those fights. Just got to a point where, yeah, money, the fame. I think he got to yeah. the stage where he'd he'd already uh, conquered the sport, and there was there was nowhere for him to go anymore. He'd already done everything and had money in the bank. And then I think get the stage where you don't want to wake up at six in the morning anymore. You don't want to yeah. have to put ice on your knees and your and your shoulders after every session. Um, so yeah, everybody that fights. In MMA or kickboxing, there's always that one person in every sport that has that life, whether it's Ronda Rousey in women's MMA, you know, and then the other girls are looking at her and they, you know, they're, they're struggling mm. or whether it's Masato or whether it's Conor McGregor, there's like this one person, yes. this one, this, these a few outliers that sort of figure it out. Yeah. And then Holly Holmes even come out and said, um, I want what Ronda has. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted what Masato had. I, yeah. I, I, I would love the, the Ferrari. Uh, doing the um, pull, I remember one commercial. He's in a Ferrari. Pulls up. You see that pull up, and the the door opens psh, like a spaceship, and then they focus in on his Rolex watch, and it's like, damn. And he's in a suit, and he's looking stylish, and he's got yeah, he's got uh, just just the king. It's like, oh look at this guy. This is what a what a hero. So and as because you're you're both playing the same game, it's like, how come I can't be him? I'd love to be him. That'd be so cool. Did the guys in K1, the heavyweight division K1? Um, did they, those guys make good money? Uh, well, they had an eight-man tournament once a year, and when it was at its uh, peak, they had the Tokyo Dome, 90,000 people, and it, it, it would sell out in two hours. Uh, and And then you'd have to fight three times in, in approximately three hours, and the grand prize was uh, 500,000 US. So, and Do you know how much profit they must have made? If you have 90,000 people in an arena yes and you're selling those you know just think about it even yeah. if it's only 10 bucks yeah that is a fuckload of money and that is a goddamn fuckload of money and you're only paying out 500 grand to the winner and you have pay-per-view and mr issue might have forgot to pay taxes for a few years in a row <laughs> So then he had to do. A, I think he believed he had to do a little bit of um, time. Uh, no, no, he got. Uh, we we stay at home, home detention. Oh, that's it. They home detention for a few years. Oh, that's great. And that's when uh, Just get pizza delivered, watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than jail, man. Uh, but yeah, and then uh, 
uh, the other gentleman took over K1, and that's when that's when the sideshow started happening. That's when the Bob Sap started coming right. in, the Hong Man Choi started coming in. Oh, is that what happened? That's when yes, the yes. Oh, so, so, wow. so Eshi had this platform where everything was ninety thousand people, and then everything was perfect, and then. Um, yeah, and then it sort of started declining from that moment on. That's too bad because in the glory days of K1, you know, back in the Ernesto Hoos days yes. and Peter Ertz and yes. just, well, God, was, Mike well, Bernardo. It's like those fights were so technical, so high level, so great. Jerome LeBanner. Yes. I mean, those, oh, my God. Well, we had Sam Greco yes. that was fighting for Australia. So yeah. he, he was the Australian hero. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it was. Sammy Schultz. Yes. Oh, before, this is before the Schultz. Yeah, era. it was before. Yeah, this right? is the, the golden era. Where, Maurice Smith. Um, and then just seemed to be those eight guys that would just keep knocking each other out uh, year after Fuck. year after year for about 10 years in a row. <laughs> and as a teenager, there, there was there was just the someone would get a VHS mm-hmm. of, the, of the latest Grand Prix and then you'd, you'd sit there and you'd watch it and it'd be so, uh, yeah, you couldn't move. You'd, yeah, all the boys would sit around with the popcorn. Remember Andy Hug? Andy, Andy Hug was an undersized guy. Under Andy Hug. Remember those yeah. days? Yeah, the spinning, the spinning heel kicks to the thighs. Yeah. Yeah, wheel kick to the thigh. Yes. Nobody was doing that, man. No one was doing that. Yeah. So, well, he was a Kyokushin, right? He was Kyokushin, yes. Yeah. Was that same as Sam Greco. And, Threw uh, a lot of wild and, kicks. And Sammy Schultz, Sammy, uh, Sammy Schult, Sam Greco, Andy Hug. And they all had that Kokushin, um, yeah, just that mentality of walk forward, throw leg kicks. But Andy Hook was only like 5'10 or something like that, right? He wasn't a yeah. big guy, and yeah. he had to put on a lot of muscle yeah. in order to fight those heavyweights. M- very undersized when you see him fight Yes, a lot of those guys in that division. And, um, it would, yeah, today I'd knock you out, and then a month later I'd knock them out. And then it was How just, crazy is that? They yeah. fought like that. Yeah, was, yeah. Everyone would fight each other six, seven, eight times, and it'd be a 50-50 split. You know, who was ever on that day was going to win. And whoever didn't get knocked out in training, whoever, who, who got knocked out, like, the furthest amount of time from that tournament. Yes. Because those guys were just destroying their chins. Yes, yes. If you think about it, I mean, how could you get knocked out and they get knocked out again a month later? That's fucking crazy. Uh, the Mark Hunts. Remember Mark yes. Hunt? The, back when he was, uh, him and Ray Sefu standing mm-hmm. toe-to-toe, uh, oh, yeah. dropping their hands, letting these taking, taking pot shots at each other's chin, mm-hmm. and just standing there and smiling. And then another rally, it was, uh, yeah, that's the sort of stuff that it made of legends. And that was when Mirko, Mirko Krokop start, first yeah, started fighting K1. Krokop he was so well. skinny. Yes. Remember how thin he was? Yes, yes, yes. That was, I guess he wasn't lifting weights or anything back then, maybe, or just wasn't it as much or and then he had to put on weight as well poor old the uh, jerome labana was always the the bridesmaid yeah always doing the business and then when it always came to the the eight man he'd never quite successfully get, get the close top. get close you remember when he uh he fought, he almost won but he broke his arm against hoost who shattered Ooh. his uh shattered his forearm yep Fuck, man. Those were some amazing, amazing fights. And again, that's something that a lot of Americans just never experienced. Yeah, this is it didn't before, air over before here. The, before the UFC era came, that was the, the, the pinnacle. That was the combat. That was combat sports, Yeah, pretty much. And it then, was before the UFC because it was before Pride. Yeah. It was before the UFC. That was the big martial arts event was the K1 Grand Prix. Yes. When you'd win, you get that big trophy and the fucking confetti would come <laughs> from the sky and the giant check. <laughs> 
<laughs> you remember that shit? Uh, remember, remember the giant checks? Yes. Where'd the giant checks go? I got a giant check. I would like to see a giant I, check I, come I, back. I got I got a, a million baht giant check. Oh, up, wow. Up, up in my gym, what I'm quite proud of. From uh, Thailand? From Thailand. So wow. A million baht. I mean, looks good. Yeah, it looks good. All those zeros. Someone says, how much is it? Nah, don't ask. That, that, that doesn't matter. It's not <laughs> it's about look, money. Look at all those zeros. Who cares how much it's worth? <laughs> <laughs> and it's in Thai, so who You're cares? missing the point, son. <laughs> it's not about money. Uh, it's about yeah. giant checks. Yeah, so the, back in the yeah K one was cool. Is a but, but, but you um, think of K one only paying out five hundred grand to the winner? Yes. Fuck, man, that's a lot of money they're making at ninety thousand seats. Yes. So so I don't know. I don't know. If, What's ninety thousand times ten? Is that nine million? Ninety million? Nine hundred thousand. No, no, no. Just add a zero. Oh right. <laughs> okay. So it's more than ten for the gate, though. Like, what's the yeah. gate? Usually, I don't know, probably 20, 30, 40 bucks a ticket plus concessions and parking and all that extra right. stuff. Right. So, 90,000 times 10 is only 900,000, but it's way more than 10 bucks a ticket, right? Oh, yeah. You're buying it's probably ringside, 100 bucks. You're going to go. Which back is a $9 through. million dollar gate. But then, ringside is probably way more than 100 bucks. Like, ring, ringside at a UFC could be as much as like 500 bucks, maybe even more, right? Oh, for sure. Like a big boxing match, I know that, well, a lot of it's like scalpers too, right? You yeah. never know. Well, MGM, I paid, uh, to watch uh, George St. Bear vs. Hendrix, I paid $500, and I was I was up in the bleachers. My Fuck. my my nose actually bled. That's how high up I was. Your nose actually bled? Yeah. I have a feeling that was because you probably got punched in that nose <laughs> fairly recently. The, I bet the, if my the, nose was up there, it wouldn't have bled. The oxygen levels were so low that I, I started getting dizzy. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I had to duck the, under a, under a plane. That was like <laughs> Who the fuck gets a nosebleed on a mountain? Is that shit real? Do you get nosebleeds when you go to a mountain? Uh, I don't get nosebleeds. You get a nosebleed on a plane? Uh, no. Yes. Yeah, well, it's the, 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 the pressure, right? Cabin, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah, but I've never heard anybody get a nosebleed in the nosebleeds. Well, when you when you jump out of a plane, you don't get nosebleeds. <laughs> really? When you parachute? Maybe you, bro. <laughs> Not me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't know me then, man. I would have hooked you up with better seats. That's ridiculous. Yeah. See, it's such an important fight. You want to yeah. be close. Well, I I think I told you last time the lady bought me my my ticket for free to go and be part of the because I wasn't going to go at all, and then mm -hmm. yeah, the lady bought me my ticket. So, but then I I bought the ticket to watch the fight. So it was, yeah. But anyway, anyway, it was um. Fights are so interesting live because you get this energy from being there in that arena that is you can't reproduce it watching it at home. And I don't I don't think people that see it at home will ever truly know what it's like to see a live fight because also there's something that gets like I remember the first time I went to see a boxing match, I remember thinking like, "Oh, there's no commentary. This is weird." Mm. Like there's something that sterilizes it a little bit about hearing Jim Lampley here ABC Wide World of Sports or whatever the fuck it was back in the day when I was watching boxing and then to go see a boxing match live you're like oh there's no one talking you know you're just hearing thump 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 bang you know you're seeing someone like I was there when Mickey Bork um, Mickey Rourke Mickey Bork Mickey Ward rather Mickey, confusing people Mickey uh, Ward was uh, coming up in Lowell Massachusetts before he ever had those crazy fights a series of fights with Arturo Gotti getting, yep. I saw him fight when he was a really young professional, and we saw him fight uh, in Lowell. Me and uh, my buddy Jimmy Lawless went to see him fight live. It was just the, like being there in in a small arena, who you know, with a local hometown guy, and see a local boxing match, and hear the the slap of leather on faces and bodies. It's such a different experience than watching it on television, which is like so much more. Um, seems like it's not really happening yeah. even if it's happening even if it's brutal you're not there you know 
Um, same with our, our local promotion that I'm doing now with my wife uh, with, the, with the CMT. You, you've you feel CMT the, meaning cage Muay Thai. Cage Muay Thai. So, so you actually you you feel you feel the mm. fight while you're in the in the room. Yeah, you're not only watching it, but um, you, you're flinching as someone's get hit. Your 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 um, hairs are up on the on your body and back of your neck. Uh, you got goosebumps. Uh, you can't not look away from the cage because at any given second someone's going to get knocked out. Yeah. So, but you don't have that when you're watching on TV. You're looking at your phone. You're looking up. You're looking down. But while you're right. while you're there live, um, yeah, you can you feel the atmosphere. You can smell the atmosphere. You can smell the tile. You can yeah. yeah it's just it's a different beast when you're um when you when you're present. The so, Thai oil, oh, yeah. that like uh, d- the liniment. Yeah, lin- what does yeah. that shit do? Does that shit do anything? Uh, yeah, it warms you up. It's nice and warm, so you you massage in the skin so that you're nice and loose. So when you're shadow boxing, your your body's on fire, so you feel uh, in, instead of skipping for ten minutes, you put the tile oil on, you rub it in, and then you're already warm. My friend, who's a doctor, told me, "Listen, man, if that shit did anything, it would get into your muscles itself, and you'd be poisoned." Really? I go, really? He goes, yeah, it's called a topical analgesic. It heats up your skin. It doesn't do a damn thing. Yeah, if you I went, really? If you if you got a light sweat and you put that stuff on, um, you wanna you're on fire. You're gonna try and put yourself under a hose okay. and try and put yourself off. But let me ask you this. If that's the case, how can you put that stuff on your skin and then you're clinching? And if you're clinching, that stuff can get in someone's eyes, no? Mm, maybe. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, it, but, but you're massaging in um, 15 minutes before you walk right, out. Right, so but then the if you're it, grabbing and you're fighting for the plum, yeah. right, and you've got that shit on your forearms, and this guy turning away, yeah. and it gets in his eyes, does that happen but, to you? By the time you get onto the ring, yeah, it's, it's absorbed. So it, mm, I don't yeah, know about all that. Yeah. That's why you can't use it in the UFC. UFC in the early days, man, dudes which is great. Yeah, and we can put oil, uh, Vaseline all over our body as well. Between the oil, the liniment and the Vaseline all over, so yeah, you come out and you're and you're shining and you're glossy and you're oh yeah, and then see. You, we're catching the kicks and you can pull out of the catches. And oh then, right. And then, uh, the only thing is, if you're the last fight of the night, so if you um, tape someone in the stomach and then you put your foot on the canvas. And then if you get oil all by, the by the time you're the last fight, the the canvas is just a ice skating <laughs> rink. It's it's terrible. And then and if you got logos on the canvas as well, oh, with the, between worse. the Vaseline and the stickers, and then yeah, it's it's a complete nightmare. Well, that's a that was a nightmare in MMA for a while that they would have all these ads on the octagon and they would spray these ads down with you know spray paint essentially or like um uh, like an iron on mm-hmm. and it would be. It wouldn't absorb like canvas. Like can for people who don't know, canvas when you get it wet, actually you get more traction. It's actually kinda nice. Which is why when you watch MMA fights, sometimes you see guys pour water on the ground and then they'll move their feet on the water because maybe their skin is dry and they want to get their skin nice and moist and it actually give you like a little traction. A dry canvas sometimes can be slippery, especially yes. a fresh canvas. Yes. But those fucking logos are the worst. Especially those things are terrible. If they're stickers and not painted on them. Yes, even, if they're stickers, yeah. that vinyl, because it doesn't absorb any moisture. So the moisture sits on if you step on it, whoop, and then you're scared to throw on kicks. So for a kicker who doesn't want to go to the ground, oh, it's a nightmare. It's a mess. Then you're, you're, one of your biggest weapons has been removed. Yeah, it's, it's good if you've got a lazy eye, because then you can watch one canvas and then watch your opponent the same thing. <laughs> He's joking. <laughs> um, you can't do that if you have a lazy eye, right? What the fuck? Do you have did, to pick which eye you look through? Did um, I used to have a girlfriend that had a lazy eye. Oh, how dare you. A joke's yeah, coming. I, I had to get rid of her because she was seeing other people. <laughs> <laughs> 
I knew that joke and you fucking got me with it anyway, you son of a bitch. How dare you? Yes. How dare you? Yes. I knew that one coming. Yes. I knew that yes. joke, but I knew it. Jo- First of all, I knew a joke was coming because you had a here's a joke coming look in your face. And I, I heard that one, but I forgot it. Uh, fucking marijuana. That's what it is. Uh, forgot the long-term memory. Got me. Damn. <laughs> so so uh, so I gotta I gotta try and keep my brain intact so I can try and be funny like you. So that's 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 why I want another thing on longevity in this sport. Well, your brain's amazingly intact for 120 <laughs> fights. That's incredible. If you tell most people, what's a guy gonna be like? 39 years old, he has 120 fights. Oh, fucking guy can't even wipe his own ass. Got to hire people to do that. Look yeah. at you. You're fine. Yeah. But what do you think that that is just uh, because of all that sparring as well? That that um you know very technical what we call playing where you're just t- tapping each other not hard you know ramon decker dutch style fighting yeah. in the gym every day but instead just like working on technique working well i've heard different te- um different um, theories with with boxers for instance boxers will spar for for twice a week three times a week leading up to a fight for 10 weeks and then the, their brain damage is caused from the sparring and not yes. not that not the actual fight but the actual preparation and then times that by 30, 40 fights. Well, how many fighters have more than 40 fights in boxing? Right. So, so uh, I don't know. I've been hit with a lot of hard shots where a lot of people say, how come a normal person would be knocked out and you didn't? I guess it's just, just luck. I have nothing but... Luck that you have a good chin. Luck, yeah, lucky that it's not, uh, not um, uh, gone yet. Um, yeah, uh, good chin is really for... You know, the, like Cosmo the whacked me hard. Yeah. Oh, he, he certainly he, did. He didn't miss. He got me multiple times. That was that I, flying knee, man. Yeah, that one he, flying knee was at the second round that he caught you with that. Um, I don't remember what round it was. Second or third round, he yeah. hit you with a flying knee. But ne- you know, never had you hurt. Never had you down. Never had you wobbly. Yeah, the cut, know? the cuts hurt, but at the same time, there's no. There wasn't one point in the fight where I thought, oh, I can't go on. It's like no, no. Every time he hit me hard, I, I was more so. I got to get it back. And there's a difference between. The, the phrase had you hurt and something hurt like uh people listen to that and they go well of course he got hurt he got hit he got you already said he had all these stitches when someone says in the fighting world he was hurt it means his body's not functioning right like you got yeah. whacked and all of a sudden you see your legs go rubber or you see a guy cover up maybe to a liver shot and you realize oh, yeah. he's hurt yeah I, he's hurt i was I, never i was never winded or never no. in a point where i thought oh i'm, I'm I, if i get hit one more time i'm gonna go down there's no point whatsoever during the fight that i was i was getting hit but at the same time i i there was never another moment where i thought i can't not win this fight until the bell rent, and then it's like, okay, now I'm out of time. When you watched the fight, the replay, did that fourth round incident where you cracked him with that punch and he started cleaning his feet? Did that drive you fucking nuts? No, I haven't watched the fight yet. Oh, I'm so, I'm so disappointed it. in myself. I'm, <laughs> you're I'm, you're gotta, gonna be very angry gotta, when you watch that fourth round. Build you're gonna the courage go, up to oh. build the build the courage up to watch it because I'm still I'm still trying to get over it that I'm. It's 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 heartbreaking when you lose, man. It sucks. It's, I can only imagine so, you and preparing then, and you, like you, that. You've invested that ten weeks, and then all you want, I've, I can taste it. I want it. I I can feel the belt around my waist. I I want to. And then when the the decision comes and they raise the opposition's hand, it's just it's so heartbreaking. And then and then look at people's faces that um, believed in you as well, like Hans with um, uh, he came on board with Monster just before this fight come up. So yeah, again I've got to thank them for coming on the board as well. But 
But, Monster um, Energy drinks. Yeah, Monster. Like to, for them to sponsor a Muay Thai guy. It's great. It's like I want to. I want to win to to be for them to be proud to have their logo on my shorts. Mm-hmm. And then when you lose, I got to look at Hans in the face and think, "Fuck, man, I'm I'm sorry I let you down." Oh, like, listen, man, you didn't let anybody down. You fought a great fight against an, a world class fighter. I mean, Cosmo Alexander is a bad motherfucker. Yeah, you know, you yeah. fought a great fight. But you know, you know what I mean. It's, yeah, it's it's it's, it's yeah, so many it people. Yeah. And then and then my little girl, she's twelve years old. She's sitting front row and then um my wife said oh yeah she was in tears because when dad she used to see dad winning so when dad's not not only did he lose but he's cut up and he's limping and he's um broken it's um it sucks yeah but it doesn't it doesn't diminish your enthusiasm for wanting to compete yeah yeah i, I, I can't wait i'm fighting cyrus on the 5th of december so <laughs> so once once my foot's healed i'll get back to australia i'll get back on the roads the back on the pads and and now i'm more determined to make up for this loss i want to make sure that i'm not only going to beat cyrus um but i have to go out there and, and destroy him to get back my credibility as one of the top guys are you still fighting that black dynamite dude yes yes cyrus that's his name, Soros. Yeah, so that's um, what is his full name? Soros Washington. Soros Cyrus. Yeah, Soros. Cyrus. Okay, that's where I got confused. Yeah, you were saying Soros. I was saying S O R O S. Yeah, I was like, who the fuck is that? Yeah, but um, Cyrus. What? It's a goddamn so, Australian accent. Yeah, Cyrus but, Washington but is. Uh, he's a wild who dude. Who has the accent? If you were in my mm, country, you'd good, have the accent. Good point. Yes. yes. Mm. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be in your country soon. I'll be in your um, country next month. Yeah, so, yeah, so Cyrus, uh, in the cage, Cyrus in the cage, Washington. MMA gloves, uh, Muay Thai yeah. rules. That's so, a but, but he's a killer, world. too. He's another he killer. killer. He's yeah. uh he's He's exactly like the gentleman you're saying from Glory with the the, the Daniel, yeah. with the spinny kicks and the hook kicks and uh, the crazy style. and. The, but he's more adapted to Muay Thai. Yes. Cyrus has. Yes. You know, he's, he's a wild guy to watch, man. He does yeah. A lot of crazy shit. It's a lot of spinning back kicks, the body. I put wheel up a, kicks. a highlight reel of his on um, Facebook the other day, and the amount of people that watched it, I'm just like, "What are you doing fighting this guy for?" And it's because <laughs> he's good. Why do why do why yes. do I want to fight him? Because he's awesome. Yes, he's going to bring such an entertaining uh, fight for the Australian crowd that um, they they're going to be crazy if they don't come along and watch it because this is going to be madness. Yeah, he's he's uh, an interesting guy, and um, he's a black belt in Taekwondo as well as being very proficient at Muay Thai at a world-class level. And combining those two things together is very interesting. It's he's like we were talking about. He's doing the bare-knuckle boxing now mm-hmm. as well. He's, yeah. he, he's fighting with headbutts. Bare-knuckle boxing with headbutts. Whoa, where's he doing that? Uh, either Cambodia uh, or Burma. Christ. Yeah. So what happens when you get hurt and you got to go to the hospital in Cambodia? <laughs> I mean, do they just give you your own chicken? <laughs> you know, do your own voodoo? <laughs> they give you a, bo- a ball of yarn and a fish hook? <laughs> Stitch yourself together, bitch. We're done. <laughs> oh, fuck, man. Yeah, so, so hopefully he doesn't have his natural instinct to try and headbutt me in the clinch. Yeah, but, no kidding, right? So, yeah, if you... But how many you, fights does he do like that? Uh, from from his Facebook record that I that I shared when I when the first when the match first got made, um, he was like seventy with fifty wins, forty seven knockouts. So Jesus Christ! So, but, but I believe he said a few more fights than that. He said, "Oh, that's actually my older record. It's actually this now." But when I got off his Facebook, and then people going, "What? You're thirty nine? Uh, you're not in your prime anymore. Why would you fight someone so dangerous for us? Because I want to give the Australian public and the fans fights that you're going to not want to miss. When people say that you're not in your, your prime, though, you still fight like you're in your prime. I, I mean, feel you, like I'm in my prime. You're not fighting like... Uh, like, when I watched you fight, 
I'm watching you fight Cosmo, who's a big, strong guy, and you're not fighting like a guy who's over the hill. Yeah. You're fighting like a cautious, smart veteran who's facing a very dangerous, fast guy, yeah. and you fought very well. It wasn't... It wasn't like a fight like, oh, man, this guy's lost a step. It wasn't like that, man. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm an honest dude. If I see someone lo losing a step, it makes me very concerned because that trying to pretend that that didn't happen is super yeah. dangerous. Yeah. I, I don't see that with the you. The only time that I feel old is when someone asks me because in, <laughs> in, in, in the gym, I feel like I'm still 25. But when someone says, how old are you? And then when I leave, when I hear that word, leave my lips and I say 39, it's like, fuck. That's, that's... Do you attribute that to consistency or, I mean, you're very clean with your diet. Like what is it? Uh, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Just, um, what's your diet like? Uh, it's okay. Uh, my wife's um, uh, half uh, Mexican American, so she cooks me a lot of tacos and shit. Lots, lots of tacos, <laughs> lots of tacos, <laughs> and lots of Thai food, lots of Asian, lots of Japanese. We. Uh, do you avoid anything? Like, do you avoid sugar or alcohol or? Uh, uh, opium, heroin. Those I are try, bad things. Try to stay yeah. away from those. That's good. Stay away from, <laughs> especially right before a fight. <laughs> try. I try. <laughs> well, they're very compelling. Um, I hear no, but no, everything's. I, I eat hamburgers. I'm, I'm. I can't say that I'm a saint. I'm definitely, but I don't drink. I don't really. I'm, I'm lucky to have five beers a year, so I stay off the alcohol. That'll help. That'll help um, a lot. That adds longevity. Um, I, Do you get like um, help, uh, hopeful when you see a guy like Bernard Hopkins? Fucking yes. fifty years old. Yes, I do. He's uh, probably that guy. And then also, uh, like you were saying before, uh, uh, Randy Couture. He's also a gentleman that's that's just proving that you can still fight with the guys that are uh, in mm -hmm. their uh, late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, he uh, won like at a world championship level, deep into his forties. Yeah, and then again, another gentleman that can put a conversation together. That's had oh, all, yeah. all these fights. And Bernard Hopkins again. Uh, uh, it's just. Yeah, Randy is com completely lucid. Yeah, when you're talking to him, he's articulate. He's a gentleman. Entrepreneur. You know? he's, yeah. he's he's not silly. He's making he's making money from different uh, avenues. So. I saw him hitting the pads the other day. He was uh, working out with uh, Jay Glazer. It's a guy who uh, does the NFL for Fox, and you know Jay was holding the pads for him, and Randy was hitting him. And I was like, I wonder what the fuck he's doing. I wonder if he sees Fedor, and he's like, you know, listen, man, I'll fucking take that one big fight because. Shit, he could probably make a shitload of money. Yeah, even Shane Mosley, Shane Mosley. Um, but Randy like, might still be under contract. He might like still have like some UFC contract thing going on. Didn't, I don't know. Um, didn't Dana expel him from UFC where he's not allowed to enter the arenas anymore or something? Uh, rather, I, don't know, I don't know. That's sad to be, me. How do you yeah, do that? That guy could do whatever the fuck he wants if I'm running the UFC. Yeah, You're Randy Couture. Go go fight your mom. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> you always get ringside seats. You know that's Captain America. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but if he did come back, it would be weird because he's he's been off for a long time. And the last time he fought, I believe, was in Toronto at the Rogers Arena, and he got jumping front kicked in the face by Lyoto Machida, and he Machida. got knocked out. Machida. That was the famous uh, Steven Seagal. Mm -hmm. That was the, the first time that anyone has ever won by a front kick to the face since Steven Seagal invented it. Well, jumping front kick jumping to the face. Kick. Jumping front Anderson kick. had won by a front kick to the face before oh, when he fought Vitor. I apologize. Yeah. That was the, that was the Steven Seagal. Sorry, have you 
ever so. tried a jumping front kick to the face in a Muay Thai fight? Jumping front kick? No, but I I landed a front. Uh, I, I I used to try and land one front kick to the face every fight as like a, <laughs> as a as a trademark thing back when I was in my early really early tw- yeah yeah that was my that was my thing to try and land one. Uh, well, actually, actually, my wife uh, she was known as a jump jump pit jump jump. Hang on, hang on, hang on. What is it? So her her Thai name translated was the beautiful face, the beautiful front kick, kick face, the beautiful, the beautiful front kick face, uh, face tipper. <laughs> so well, I, I bet it sounds cooler in Thai. <laughs> How do you say it in Thai? Uh, Jom tip, jom tip na. Jom tip na. Wow. So, so, is her, a beautiful so her language. So her thing was um. It's uh, so much better than beautiful front kick facer. <laughs> 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 and then uh, she broke a couple of girls' noses with um at the heel striking uh-huh. to the nose and uh yeah she she's she was um she's awesome. My wife's really amazing when well, it comes to fighting. It's interesting because the ties use the teep to the face almost like the flat part of the foot more yes. and almost like a push kick. Yes. You know, like to push you back. Oh, very rarely would you see someone get actually knocked out from it. You can see the head get snapped, but you wouldn't see actually get knocked out. So yeah, they don't throw it like a karate style front kick. No, like a say, like a semi shot always used to throw it to the body. Yes. He would throw it like a like a, a thrust kick, a different style of kicking. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, I wonder why the ties never threw it like that because so, obviously when you watch Anderson versus Vitor, it's the same kick. It's just done. With a slightly different style, and it's very effective. Yeah, it was. It's it, weird. It was. It was nuts. And then uh, for Machida to, to replicate that same kick um, not long later, I was mm-hmm. like, "Damn, these things are that's pretty cool." And never see it again. I mean, you see guys attempt it, but there's not been a single knockout. In Justin Buckholtz got a knockout, I think, in Ring of Fire. I think that's where he fought, which is um, uh, uh, an organization, Sven Beans organization in Colorado. I think that's where Justin. He's one of the uh, um, alpha male. Uh, Uriah Faber's camp, one of the trainers there, one of the fighters. I can't really think he's a fight this weekend. He might have fought this weekend. Um, but I, you very rarely see guys knock guys out with it these days. Like it was those two fights, Justin's fight, and I can't remember uh, another knockout since in the UFC. People try it, but it hasn't been uh, hasn't been utilized uh, as effectively. What do you got there for me? Ha ha ha! There you are, John Wayne Parr, Cosmo Alexander. Bam. T. Front kick to the face. Hey. <laughs> what is that? That thing that they always do when, when people uh, throw kicks. In, they go, hey. In, in, um, in Australia, <laughs> we call that a, a, a high five to the face with your foot. Oh, okay. That's a little <laughs> awkward. You should try to make something a little more eloquent. Come up with a better name. Monster must like that, though. You go highlighted the M on your shorts. Yeah, it's, it's really perfect. Cool. That's, cool. a, that's a perfect picture for the wall. I, right? I was... I was um, uh, quite happy that Cosmo was kind enough to stand there for for me for the for the photo shoot to, to let me execute the, the front kick to that one. Very nice of him. What a, what a gentleman he is. What a gentleman uh, he is. I'll have to upload one to um, Instagram later on so everyone can check it out. So your fight for Cage Muay Thai, um, you guys are using the small gloves. Yes. And using the, the Muay Thai gloves. Is Are you the only organization that has a full striking with Muay, with, uh, Muay Thai rules but with uh, MMA uh, gloves? I believe so. And then a gentleman... Uh, uh, Martin Hogan, Hogan, Hogan in um, uh, Ireland. He's he's seen my uh, promotion. Then he's started it as well. And then he's done three shows so far in Ireland. And his last show, uh, Conor McGregor and uh, what's the other gentleman from Iceland that uh, that fights? Gunnar Nelson. Gunnar Gunnar was there as well, and they were both mm. in the crowd. And uh, I think they were both blown away by the 
the adrenaline of, of the, the cage because it's so exciting and it's so fast and there's no ground. And then if there's no action on the fence, um, within five seconds it's broken up. So it's just continuous violence. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you like the breaking it up though with the clinch? Because in Muay Thai, you know, in real it, Muay Thai, they don't break it up. Uh, if there's no action, so if you're throwing knees and it becomes a stalemate within five, uh, two or three seconds, if there's no action, it, they break oh, it straight okay. away. Whereas, Only if there's no action. Whereas in MMA, you can press someone against the phrase and just hold the on to them. and hold, hold, hold. Well, hold. the UFC they usually will stop it and, it, and yeah, separate yeah, eventually. you. Eventually. I honestly believe that, especially in MMA, since grappling is such an integral part of mixed martial arts, I don't think they should ever break things up. I think if a guy's got you down and he's just holding you down, that's tough shit. you got to figure out how to get up. Yeah. I don't think it should score very well for the guy on top, but I really don't, I don't believe in stand-ups because yep. I feel like, especially for a striker, right, you have five minutes and every round starts standing up. Every round starts with your advantage. No round starts on the ground. You never start where, like, okay, this round, John, you're on top. You know, you start on top because he was like, no. But every round starts standing up, mm -hmm. and that's the advantage of the striker. The, the grappler has to figure out how to get a hold of him, how to get him to the ground. I think once you've done that, it's the guy on the ground's business to try to get back up. People go, oh, that's fucking boring. You're gay. You like for fucking guys. I'm just saying there's only five minutes, okay, and for grappling – Five minutes is not that long. You, if you, if you say, if you were grappling with another guy who was also at your level in grappling, and you guys were tangling for five minutes, if you're both at the same level, there's going to be a lot of stalemates, and it takes little incremental in, in, improvements and advances for you to get to a position where you finally get to a mount, or you finally get an armbar, you finally get a choke. It's hard to do. And you can't do it if you keep standing people up when they stalemate. Yeah. Because that's stalemate's a part of grappling. It's like the, it's your job to figure out if you're on the bottom how to get up or how to submit them from your back. It's the guy's job on the top to hold you down and to figure out how to get you in a better position and to dominate you and to figure out how to submit you. Yeah. But it's not enough time. Five minutes is not enough time. Yeah. The same when pressed against the fence. When sometimes when you, they they stuck there for uh, for more than. Yeah. Two minutes. When so. the guys get impatient, then they make mistakes. Yes. Like if a guy's pressing you up against the cage and he's kneeing your legs and he's hitting you with short elbows and you're just waiting for the referee to, st to separate. If the referee doesn't separate, you might do something silly. You might make a mistake. You might, and that's what they're trying to do. Like Randy Couture was the master at that, at uh, holding guys up against the cage. But he didn't get it. They didn't separate him very often because he was constantly moving. He'd be constantly punching you, constantly kneeing your body, kneeing your legs. He was working you, and he was p pushing on you and wearing you out. That was a big part of his strategy. And I just feel like, um, you know, with MMA, they're trying really hard to make it more fan-friendly. Yes. And they're trying really hard to make the action like more exciting to watch. But I think in doing so, you water down the art a little bit. And there's an art with two guys trying to figure out what to do to each other to, to defend and to attack and to figure out who can win. Yep. I don't know. That's just my feeling. But I think if you're going to have pure stand-up, just pure stand-up striking, I think what you're doing is the best way to do it. Hey, nice. I think small gloves and I think uh, doing it in a cage in where you know you don't have to worry about guys falling through the ropes. Yes, like I've seen that in a lot of events, especially when guys start clinching and they get up against the rope, and uh, maybe their butt goes through like two ropes and they slid back, or maybe they're ducking away from a punch and they wind up falling out of the ropes. It happens too much. Yeah, I've seen. Um, I was at a, a local M uh, Muay Thai show in the ring, and they had uh, two gentlemen that were clinching away, and the other guys 
uh, they've fallen straight through the center. And then on they had the judges' table right beside oh. the, the ring, and they had all the trophies lined up. And it was those trophies where the the angel was on top of the trophy with her hands clasped together, and it was it was uh, like razors. Oh. And, and the guy and the guy's head. Uh, missed the trophy by by inches, and it flopped onto the desk. And if it had it been a little bit to the left, he would have been pe- pierced straight through his eye. It would, it would oh, have been, yeah, it would have been um, detrimental. Why the fuck would they have sharp objects right next to the ring so when was, guys uh, are throwing each other around? That would have been horrific. Oh, it was definitely sickening. So I always make sure <sighs> with our shows now, our, our trophies are under the table. That was a learning curve. But, Bernard and then, Hopkins, fe- um, well, no, he didn't fall. Didn't he fall? Yeah, he fell once? out and broke his, his, That's right. his shoulder. Yeah, um, but with in the cage, um, from a personal experience, I've had hundred and eighteen, nineteen fights in the ring. But to, to be locked in that cage, it, as a not as a spectator, but as a fighter, it's such a different uh, atmosphere and a different arena, and mm. um, it definitely brings out a completely different beast. And then when you know your opponents wearing those little gloves, um, yeah, every single sense in in your body is is tingling because you know if you make a mistake, you're going to be um, completely dominated or wiped out or uh, not, yeah knocked unconscious so it's, what do it's you think about bare knuckle bare knuckle I haven't tried it and um, I it sounds very painful <laughs> yeah and then and then because my hands too I think the idea of smacking someone in the forehead with bare knuckle wouldn't be healthy for my uh, longevity so I like the idea with having hand wraps and having the small gloves and having the quick because with my MM, uh, CMT gloves, uh, it's half half padding, half gel. So it, and it's almost a six ounce instead of a four. So uh, it's it's not like a complete them, but it's still fingerless. Did you time. design them? Uh, I had them um, talked with a company in Australia that helped design them, make them thicker because I, I as a promoter, I didn't want to have someone dying on my show. So I made it I made it uh, a. A thicker padding because there's no taking down, there's no holding. Right. It's just uh, complete trauma for for five rounds. So, um, well, the argument is, I mean, I I see what your point is, but the argument is that, you know, you're saying you wouldn't want to break your hands on someone's forehead. The argument is that you could throw a chin kick with full power. So shin, which is much more powerful than a punch, shin to the head, right? Mm. Knee to the head, elbows to the head. Yes. Why do you allow someone to tape up their wrist and form an unnatural bond, right? And then tape up their hands to make it nice and hard so you can punch full blast. Mm. Whereas the reality is the hands should be used judiciously because there's not a lot of room for error. If you do make a mistake and you punch full blast and you hit someone in an elbow, they cover up like that and your knuckle slam into the elbow, you might shatter your hand. Yeah. You might shatter your hand on their forehead. You might shatter your, your hand a lot of different ways. And you have to be way more clean with your strikes and it makes it more realistic. Yes. And they think, a lot of people think, that that would actually alleviate a lot of the brain damage. Okay. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that? Uh, yeah, just my my hands are all sort of. I've had a, a little bit of difficulties in the past with them, so it's right. nice. It's nice. I, it's reassuring that I, when I have the hand wraps on, that that's keeping my wrist into a, a nice firm uh, place. So when I when I punch wrong, that, that I'm not going to break my hand. Okay, but and, and just having that cushioning over the top of the knuckles because the knuckles are so sensitive that um, I've broken them before. So. Uh, it's it just and, and I, I know if my hands are wrapped properly that I can hit it with full force and not have any repercussions does that argument make sense to you though? it, it does it does but um, I think there'd be more open, harm, open hand slaps, slaps like, yeah. like Bass Bass uh, Rutten and Bass Tom Rutten. Crace yeah. yes 
Well, his style was pretty in, insane. They, 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 you definitely you wouldn't want to punch with a closed fist. You definitely be wanting to um, to the body. Maybe you would, right? To high five someone's face with your palm. <laughs> <laughs> but then you'd have a lot of eye pokes. That's uh, a that's a real issue with uh, MMA. Yes. Even no, CMT, we had a few, few pokes as well. So yeah, man, I wish they figured something out to fix that. Yeah, that that's, that, that's the only danger. What I'm doing with the CMT gloves is uh, with the fingerless because a lot of people are saying, "Well, why are you doing it? There's so many problems with the UFC and the pokes. Why do you want to bring that same element into the what you're doing with the cage?" But at the same time, if you wear boxing gloves in the in the cage, it just looks looks so dumb. It looks um, <laughs> it, it it does because you you spend right. every single weekend watching UFC and then you're trying to get the same respect from the MMA fans for what you're doing in with what we're in the with K, uh, Muay Thai rules and you, you got these big pillows on yet the UFC guys wearing the fingerless ones oh. well is it possible that you could do something that's not fingerless but that's also very light that it looks like a bag glove you know but it's the visual right. I, think, I think it's the visual that sells and and uh, as a fighter as well I know when I put them on I, I feel like I'm a warrior Mm. It's it's a weird thing to try and explain, but it's just um I I know that when I close my fists and and then when I clinch I know that I have my fingers and I can catch the the kicks a lot easier and mm. manipulate the guard so I can throw elbows easier as well. So it's um you also it's, have it's, to be... it's a different element of fighting. I've I've had so many fights with gloves and then you put these little things on, and then the bell rings and then I feel I feel free because when I'm training I train. For 10 weeks with no gloves, when I'm clinching, I train uh, when I play spar with the kicks. And then when I, all of a sudden I'm restricted when I put boxing gloves on. And then I'm not, I can't execute the same game plan when I'm training to when I'm fighting. If it, Does that make sense? Do you know it what does I mean? make sense, but why wouldn't you just train with the gloves? Mm, yeah, the, the, the boxing gloves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in 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 the in the cage though in in the cage it's just um I, I see know. your I, point yeah, about yeah. it not looking right yeah I, I definitely see your point yeah I I want I want the MMA people to look at my promotion and say yeah fuck yeah that's cool right it's well it's everything that they want out of MMA yes that especially like people that don't like the ground game it's yeah. everything they want I'm, they want not, wild I'm, crazy yeah, stand I'm not going to get their respect if I wear boxing gloves I, I need to make it this the the same environment with everything the same just eliminate the ground so those strikers have a a platform to to fight in that same arena mm -hmm. because there's so many got so I get so many emails from people that want to fight on the show because they want to they want to feel that rush of the cage they want right. to feel that rush of MMA gloves but there's there's no platform pl platform from the to uh, to to do it besides mine so yeah. yeah, it's um, it's it's an interesting sort of a transition. It's like the gladiator days where you're fighting in the Colosseum. Don't yeah. they do that in Thailand? They do like one where they wrap the hands. They do like uh, big yes. crazy hand wraps. Yes, they they they've just started that in the last few years. Also, um, Thai fight is called uh, the same deal with the the hand wraps as well. And uh, but it's in a ring still. So you it's see in a ring, and they have but big giant hand wraps. They're not totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I've heard rumors that there there may or may not be a MMA glove similar sort of style underneath, or or, oh. or if it's a softer cotton, or it's not like pure. Well, it's big. Yeah, it's big. Those it's are big. big hand wraps. It's not like as simple as like the regular wrap that you would wear when you're boxing. Yeah, and it's not a cage. Under a glove. It's no, like, it's, it's not a it's cage. Not a gauge. Do you think ah, the it's cage big. is a big selling big element? Yeah. Um, I know when I walk into an arena, I see a ring. It's like, yeah, yeah, the fight's tonight, you beauty, I'm excited. I walk into an arena and I see a cage, and it's like, oh, someone's going to get fucked up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different beast. You walk into that arena and it's a different, yeah. it's a different animal. 
It's funny you say that because that was always like a thing that people thought was holding MMA back. Because MMA was in a cage and people didn't like the idea of cage fighting, in quotes, cage fighting. But look at it now. It's a yeah. billion dollar business. It's the, well, UFC. The UFC is not MMA in general, but, only, but UFC. Only UFC. You know, there was an article that was recently out about the World Series of Fighting, which has some really good fighters in it. The World Series of Fighting. You know, there's some there's some super high level guys in in the World Series of Fighting. You watch some real good fights, and they're not making any money. They're yeah. losing money. They're on NBC Sports, you know, and I don't know how much NBC Sports pays them, but there was some article on the Underground about them losing money and being in dire dire financial straits. And for me as a fan, I hate hearing that because yeah. I want guys to have options. Because when guys get cut from the UFC, a lot of times they'll go to World Series of Fighting, one of these other organizations like Jake Shields or John Fitch, and you know they build up, win a few fights over there, and maybe they can come back to the UFC. And I like hearing that. I want I want to see that. That's what happened to Arlovsky. Anthony Johnson. Anthony Johnson. He fought Arlovsky in yes. World Series of Fighting. Yes. Um, I like that. I, I, that has to be available, and it, it can't be available if these guys aren't making any money. It's the same in Australia. The, the I I love UFC. I love it. I'm there every single weekend. I'm buying all the pay per views. I'm watching all the replays. I I love your commentary. Uh, I love every single thing about it. And then I go to a local MMA show, and I'm bored shitless. Yeah. Uh, they got two guys that, are, and then it's Australia too because we don't wrestle. So so within ten seconds, they're both on the ground, and they don't have the skill set to stand back up and they sort of get stuck for five minutes uh, but when you watch UFC they're at such a high level that it's it's like two worms the next minute they're up again they're down the jiu-jitsu is so crazy the striking so amazing you got the Cerrone's and it's 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 such a and then what I want to do with the CMT too I've heard Dana White say in interviews if any um, competition promotion was had any brains they'd Deal everything that I'm doing in the UFC and try and replicate that for their own promotion because what we're doing is a winning formula. So that's what I want to try and do with my show. I'm trying to bring in the nationals in. I'm trying to to create the every single aspect as much as I can, similar but in the striking world. So, do you think that that's what you'd be your primary focus when you retire, promoting and promoting like cage Muay Thai? Uh, yeah, my life is fighting. Whether I'm doing it or promoting it or teaching it or seminars or. I, I I have no other interest outside of fighting. That is, that is all I do, and then that's my my wife's life as well. Between us, um, yeah, the, we, that's yeah. I don't know. I don't even know if there is a world outside of fighting. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> um, do you when you watch MMA and say so you watch like UFC, high level UFC? What what is the one thing that you think that uh, when you see striking? Yep. Is there is there anything that bugs you? Is there thing that things that you watch that you see people doing wrong, or things you would like to see them improve upon? No, I, I enjoy I enjoy warriors. I enjoy people that are willing to put it all on the line. Uh, even uh, gentlemen such as Diego Sanchez, like his striking to me isn't elite, but at the same time he 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 drops his hands he calls his opponent on he screams and yeah. he, he runs in for me that's excitement it doesn't yep. it doesn't have to be technical or textbook mm -hmm. but f to have that uh that adrenaline dump of sitting there and watching him for a whole round just going crazy oh he's nuts for he's, me that's 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 amazing he's one of my all-time favorites for sure because um, of that and, and then john jones again like you're saying different elements of his elbow strikes uh Gufferson for another example 
uh, everyone has their Anthony Johnson mm-hmm. uh, again he's, he's, he's boxing you wouldn't say is textbook boxing but at the same time if he hits you you're out so yeah. I love that I love it I, that's why I, I love it because I'm on the edge of my seat every single that's what UFC is so good too you don't have to wait till the main event to watch the fights you can sit there from the prelims to the last fight and enjoy every single fight because you know that every single fight is going to be completely different to the last yeah with no question about that but as a world class striker when you watch guys in the UFC do you see holes in their their style or do when you watch MMA doesn't even have to be UFC like just any uh, MMA but do you see like what, what do you think about the level when you're coming from a world championship Muay Thai fighters perspective what do you think about the level of kickboxing in MMA uh, if, it, if it was pure kickboxing rules it yeah it's it's it, it's different kettle of fish, but um, it's 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 entertaining. I, I watch it for the end. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't say it's good or bad because uh, what they do works. And also, you have to consider the fact that they're avoiding takedowns yes. and things along yes. those lines. There, there's so many yeah. different elements. And for me, for me to say this is good, this is bad, um, I would be disrespecting the sport. So for, I'd rather. Uh, yeah, it's in the day. Uh, it's entertainment, and mm-hmm. and uh, that's why I invest my money every single weekend because I I love it. I think it's uh, amazing. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a Muay Thai guy. Yeah, I love UFC. So yeah, um, I just wish I was uh, a a young teenager that was starting out. I, I know Learn which path. Wrestling. I know which path I'd, I'd definitely go. You'd go down the MMA path. I, I because yeah, I, I because wanna, it's so big. I, I want to be the Anthony Pettis on the Wheaties box. Right. I, I'd love to. <laughs> I, I'd love to be the George St. Pierre driving yeah. around and. My, my, my in, living in a penthouse and being in the and the Nos commercials and the, right. the Ronda Rousey and there there's yeah it's. Do you good. plan on training MMA fighters? Do, do yeah, I mean I know you sure. work with George quite but, a bit. Uh, I've worked with him once for the two weeks. That was pretty cool. Um, I, I work with a couple of gentlemen in Australia um, that are, just, are coming up. So, but if the opportunity arose and someone um, would like to. to yeah, shoot me an email. I'm happy to. Now, all those training sessions that you did with George over that that two weeks, which fight was that for? Again? Hendrix. Hendrix. His very last one. And wh- what did you guys basically work on? What was... Uh, Hendrix was a southpaw, so we're working on uh, keeping everything basic and then lots of right hand left hooks, lots of inside thigh kicks with the right leg for the, the take out that lead, southpaw leg, uh, moving away from the power left hand because he's a monster. Uh, and then I'll, every time we spar, I, re- I replicate uh, Johnny's sparring style. So lots of I throw lots of overhand lefts, and just being that that craziness exploding in. Um, and then George was uh, 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 John Dennehy. Um, after a week of having George on the pads, um, he was blown away about how much power I I I, I was starting to get out of George's um, uh, punches and kicks, and then freestyling on the pads that he'd never done before, and. Uh, yeah, it was. It, we had such a good time, uh, but then I came too late. I came. I came too early in the camp. There was still fourteen weeks between uh, our training session and and the fight. So by the time I went back to Australia, uh, he he sort of went back to the old um, training regime. And then what was the difference between your training? I, I had the pleasure of working out with you, and one of the things that I found was really interesting is that even when you throw a jab, you're throwing a jab almost like a right hand. Yes. You're throwing a jab like you're pulling back with your right hand and fucking thrusting with your left hand. Yes. You know, and was that like the style that yeah, you were? Yeah, I, I had George. George, when, when George was double jabbing before, it was a long jab, short jab, whereas I had him cocking that shoulder for both jabs. So both of them were, were um, and they'll make him 
big cracking noise. Bam, bam. Yeah, yeah, that, that were the, the power. So you were trying to get him to be more aggressive with his power? Is that what you were concentrating yes, on? Yes, trying to execute, um, yeah, a lot more power shots. And just um, keeping it simple. So you... Uh, keeping it down to four or five different techniques against the southpaw because against the southpaw you, you can't do the crazy tricks you got to keep it basic but um, smart so you, you don't want to run into that left power hand either and then I believe uh, he fought the wrong fight against Johnny he was moving into the hand instead of away from the hand and then he took a lot of damage uh, and I believe we talked about this last time as mm -hmm. well uh, I, I believe George marginally just won that fight just um, but I, I think if I had to stay there for a little bit longer or closer to the fight, I, I, I could have got him away with um, Over le the edge. Le less, less damage. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Do you think that he maybe? Sorry. Do you think that maybe he had one foot out the door? Because he was kind of saying after that fight that he's really, you know, he's, he's probably wants to take some time. I didn't want it retiring, but yeah. he wanted to take some time away and that this was just, you know, it was too much for him. Do you think that coming into that fight, maybe he had that in his head? Possibly. possibly. That's always a bad spot for a fighter to be at, right? Uh, Have one foot out the door. Yeah. I was saying to my friend, Kevin, uh, that I, 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 it was the highlight of my uh, training as a person. It was um, training George for those two weeks. And the, the first three days that I was with him, it was so mind-blowing that how famous he was people coming up morning taking photos we're, we're eating and then after the third day fourth day fifth, then you realize this thing this machine doesn't turn off mm -hmm. and then um he can't go to the chemist to buy shampoo he can't chemist he, uh let's that's what you guys call a grocery uh, store uh, pharmacy. pharmacy oh <laughs> he called the chemist you, you got, you, you got <laughs> like where you, the fuck are you getting your shampoo yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he might go. He might go into the toilets to pass stool, uh -huh. and you got people waiting at the side of the cubicle yeah. to to wait to get a photo with him. So he's. And then mm -hmm. we got it. Every time we went somewhere, it always have to be through the VIP entrance. He couldn't mm -hmm. walk through the front door. Uh, Especially but, in Montreal, right? So one time we went to a nightclub, and then we, we've gotten in through the VIP, and then we're we're walking to our uh, our table, and then we're about maybe fifteen feet from our table, and someone said, "GSP, GSP." And without a word of a lie, um, the whole dance floor stopped dancing. Everyone's looked at us, turned, and then the whole clubs walked towards that table. Oh, and no. and um, without losing a beat, we, we've turned straight back around and walked straight back out of the nightclub because uh, it, it was like a tsunami of fans that had just come in. To, and he knew he wasn't going to be able to sit down. Yeah, he said, oh, we'll come back here in a couple of hours later when when they're distracted. Um, I can't come in right now because it, wow. it, it, it's like this every day. It's, it doesn't, yeah. I, this is this is normal. And he's wow. got. A, he, he has his uh, good friends that he's, are, are his bodyguards that stand around him the whole time because uh, uh, people say, "Can I get a photo?" And the bodyguards will step in and say, "Oh, no, no flashes." As soon as the flash goes off, then the whole club's going to come. Mm -hmm. And then George will say yes, and then the bodyguards, "Oh, sorry." Oh, but George says yes. Look, mate, you, you don't understand. If the camera goes, and we got a problem. And Everybody's gonna want a photo. Yeah, everyone yeah. wants a photo. So, um, and, and even at a red light, we're driving in the car. Me and George got the radio. Hey, pull over, bitch! Uh, we stop. <laughs> we, we stop at a red light, and all you hear is GSP, GSP, and and for to his credit, a champion is he always looks, waves, smiles, and then slowly just drifts forward just a fraction, just so he's out of eyesight of of, of the fans. But it's um, but that's every every single. He'd rather. From your car park, even he'd catch a taxi from the front gate to the back gate because it, it, from walking a uh, hundred feet would be a half an hour um, 
with photos and handshakes and high fives and and people are rude people are crazy people just come up and they stick their phone in his face like this and and they don't oh you know what it's like you're a superstar um you'd have this every single day as well surely yeah i don't have anybody sticking their phone directly (laughs) in my face too often but it's happened a few times but i think with george it's a totally different thing because he's a national hero as well I mean, he won Sportsman of the Year Award in Canada, where hockey is like their national sport. Yes. And he won over hockey players. I mean, he was on the fucking, he was in these Gatorade commercials. I mean, he yeah. had transcended the sport to the to the, fact, the point where he was a international superstar, and he's from Canada. And they're so proud of that in Canada. Canada is such a proud country yes. that a guy like George is probably at like 100 times more famous than me. Yeah. Well, we went, to, we went to New York for the, for one week, the train with um, John Dennehy and uh um, at the Gracies at the Academy, and even in New York, there was, was no different. Montreal yeah. and New York was just as insane as each other. It was just yeah. When, well, I would think Montreal would be probably a little bit more crazy, but yeah, at that level, I mean, George, when he was a champion, especially, I wonder if he can get around now a little bit better. Yeah, I I, I hope so. But Maybe uh, people just ask him questions. When are you coming back, George? <laughs> I heard you gonna fight Anderson Silva, George. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, and then even uh, the websites, you, you notice all the, uh, I, I read the MMA websites every single day, and then it's always, at least once a week, there's something about George is doing this, or he might come back, or this is happening, and so he's still mm. he's still relevant, he still hasn't disappeared yet, they still they, they, they still need him in that circle. Well, he's still training, yeah, you know, he's I know still a man. Sage Northcutt was uh, in um, TriStar recently, and he had done some training with George, and I think, you know, George still has a little bit of the itch, but. Yeah, I'd love for him to come back, I think he's a, he's. Uh, he he is UFC, and he's such a great ambassador as well. He's yeah. not just a he's a gentleman, a, not just a great fighter, but he represents everything good that's about combat sports. Yeah, I agree. He, everything good about martial arts, and he started as a martial artist. I mean, that's really what he is. Yes, and and then that's why he would always go to the into the octagon with his gi on, and yes. you know the whole deal. He's a he's a really unique guy, and no better ambassador like in in his time to carry the flag. Yes, and then uh, to even the, a lot of people change after once they reach that superstardom, whereas George has always stayed grounded. And then people would come up and people, had some majority are great. And then some people, with the time that I spent with him, hey, every time I get a photo with a celebrity, you, um, I get carried, so pick me up. And he's like, oh, okay, there's your photo. <laughs> Or, or uh, just, just, or people are so fucking weird. Or especially uh, every the, time I get a photo with celebrity, I fart on them. Yeah, come on, George, get over here. I'm gonna fart on you real quick. Come well, on, Josh. They might have had a few drinks, and there's no politeness. Hey, I want a photo. Give yeah. me a photo. Or, oh, or, they, yeah. or they just grab yeah. him like that Tyson uh, highlight yeah. where they're grabbing around the neck. Yeah. And give me a photo. It's like people, there's no yeah, yeah, so, fucking mind. But, and he yeah. doesn't change though. He's like, yeah. mm, he doesn't like it, but at the same time, he does it. Yeah. Well, he's uh, he's a good man. Yeah. He's a good yeah. man. Yeah. It's uh, he's uh, he's very open minded too. I've watched him train I with people. I, I think I've seen you in a few confrontations on YouTube where people are a bit aggressive when it comes to uh, comes to uh, asking for your stuff, and you give have to give them a slight hey. Just no, no, not necessarily. I don't think there's any YouTube videos of people like asking for photos or anything like that. It might be that I don't know, of, but yeah, people get drunk. Yeah, alcohol is the worst drug in the world. Yeah, alcohol. it's the worst drug in the world for people to make mistakes under pressure too, because they see a guy like George and they're like, holy shit, it's George St. Pierre. <laughs> I ain't scared of him. You know, like, for whatever the stupid... Chuck Liddell used to get guys trying to pick fights with him. Yeah. With fucking Chuck Liddell. Yeah. Chuck Liddell has a murderer's eye. Like, you look in his eyes, there's a killer in there. And dudes get drunk and pick fights with him. People are so stupid. Yeah. 
Donald Cerrone was telling me some guy punch, on the podcast was telling some, some guy punched him in the face in the Whole Foods parking lot. And he's like, what the fuck, man? And it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, you just run into the wrong people, man, and, and booze and whatever the fuck else they're doing with their head. Yeah. yeah it's, not... it's a crapshoot out there when you meet the general public. Um, yes. So uh, about uh, YouTube. Holy shit. Me and you had that little spa. Yeah. Uh, people are fucking crazy. Why do people get, um, they stay anonymous? Yeah, yet they have such an opinion that they have to. It, me and you, we, well, we we had an understanding. You had a sore back. You didn't want to spar, but you were. You said, "Oh, look, fuck it, let's do it." And then um, we had the best three minutes. We laughed. We had fun. It was no big deal. I said, "Oh, do you mind if I upload it?" You said, "Yeah, go for it." Yet everyone thinks it's so serious. Well, they also think we're somehow upset at each other or something. It was. We, just, it was just for too, me. It was fun. And yeah, it was for me, fun it was to fun. be able for to. Me it was fun. It was cool. It was a highlight of. Uh, we should have probably recorded the whole thing. The, the, it was a highlight of like an whatever an hour and a half of us training together. I was I was really impressed with the a lot of the variations of techniques that you do, like the way you throw the knee, especially. I never saw anybody throw a knee with like it completely sideways the way you did it and the combinations in which you did it. So I think in MMA or in, in any martial art, it's always cool when you get a chance to work with people and learn a bunch of different shit. And at the end of it, like throwing some light kicks and, and you know, and punches and stuff and moving around with each other, to me, it was just fun. You had a suspected uh, bulging disc. Yeah, well, it's it's definitely something <laughs> fucked up with it, but so, it's better now. So to, to take it like like we were competing like yeah. uh, like a UFC title, it was a, it was a play spar in your garage for shits and giggles. You can't uh, read that though, man. You can't. You're reading the comments. You can't read those. Yeah, that's uh, like opening yourself up to the retards of the world. Like, hey, retards, how do you what do you how do you feel I should uh, govern my life? What should I do differently? Uh, like you fucking don't know anything. You fucking loser. You should kill yourself, loser. You go eat some shit. Eat dicks. You just can't. You can't listen to that. Yeah, I remember. I, I think I sent you a private message about two weeks later. Going, dude, how do you how do you put up with it? And you yeah. said you said just can't. don't don't read it. Yeah, how the yeah. fuck did that guy get to be a world champion? If you respond with me, bro, yeah. I'd open him up, bro. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, yeah then people the, were then correcting your technique. It was hilarious. Uh, like, we just please shut the fuck up. Yeah. See, there was, a, there was a, a segment of you showing me a particular combination, and someone was saying that you were showing it wrong. Oh yeah. I was reading that, and I was like, "What am I reading this for? <laughs> what am I? What am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm not even taking my own advice." <laughs> and meanwhile, if you if you found that guy, he probably weighs six pounds. He's in his mom's basement, shit in his own pants. <laughs> like, who knows who you're listening when you read a sentence on the internet and it starts with a letter and it ends with a period it looks like a normal person wrote it and you just read it like if you wrote a sentence or if he wrote a sentence or some crazy dude who has no fucking grasp of reality at all it still looks the same because it's a sentence and you don't know like when you read someone's opinion you don't know what the what's that guy like like that's the thing about opinions. If you there's always guys and you know them. Everybody knows them. There's always guys in the gym that'll see someone and they probably don't know what the fuck they're doing, but they'll see someone hitting the bag or they see someone doing a technique and they'll come over and correct them, right? There's always those fucking morons. Yeah. You know, there's a million of those fucking morons, right? Well, when you meet that guy and you know he's an idiot and you know that guy from the gym, you can just go, oh, Mike is the guy who gave you advice. Listen, Mike's, Mike's half retarded. He got shot in the head when he was two. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's a difference between that and like seeing the guy's written words. Like, it's the beautiful thing about the internet is that anybody 
can say anything. They can just that you 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 have a full open free forum for expressing yourself. But the reality is, if you have a million people, okay, at least one percent of those people are going to be out of their fucking mind. <laughs> at least one percent. So if you got a hundred people, that's one person. But if you got a million people or a hundred million people, look at the United States, three hundred million people. How many of those people are out of their fucking mind? It's at least three million. At least. Three million douchebags <laughs> that are leaving comments on YouTube and they're getting John Wayne Parr to talk about them Yeah, yeah. And like, eh, I was right. <laughs> I was right. He could say it all you want. You fucking techniques dog shit, bro I don't know how you got to be a world champion, bro uh, Not not on my watch <laughs> You ain't pulling that shit with me. I'll tell you what That's uh, what you're gonna get man. It's the world the world we live in. It's a beautiful world though. It's beautiful and it's chaos and it's it's fun, but you gotta. I think we're all learning how to navigate this world, in the yeah. world of comments on internet. Like I have friends that won't go on the underground anymore. You know, fighters they just won't go. They go, I, I can't. It hurts my feelings. Yeah. They go, I read what people are saying about me, and it hurts me. But it only hurts you if you don't know that. If you if you knew that guy, it wouldn't hurt you. You know, if you were around him when he was saying that, you'd be like, oh. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> You're an idiot with a typewriter. You get the type keys. Oh, okay, I get it. But you don't get it when you see just a sentence. A sentence. It looks like a normal person wrote that. Um, Diego Sanchez wrote on wrote on Twitter saying, um, "You bag me out, but I bet if we met in person, you'd be the first one to ask my, for my autograph." Oh, it's true. Uh, yeah, they would say that to him. Yeah. yeah, they talk all kinds of shit with him. How can you talk shit about Diego Sanchez? Yeah, yeah. that guy has given more people the most crazy, holy shit entertainment. <laughs> Diego's had more fucking wild, chaotic, filled rounds. Yeah. And with, wild moments in MMA. Melendez. That motherfucker wins fights in the third round. When he's losing the first two rounds, he's got his face hanging off, and he doesn't give a fuck, and he yeah. still comes out swinging. You have to be a real piece of shit to talk bad about that guy. A Diego, real piece of Diego shit. And, uh, Melendez, uh, that third round, was still, oh! that's, that's still one of my favorite rounds. How he dropped him with an uppercut in the fucking third round. After losing those first two rounds, drops him, almost has him out. Yeah. Same thing with Jake Ellenberger. Took his back too. Took yeah, his, drops him. Take his back, man. Yeah, Dude, Diego's a warrior. That guy's got my respect forever. He's so crazy. The Martin Campman fight. Same thing. First two rounds, losing. His fucking face is falling off in the third round. He's chasing Martin Campman down. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta gotta respect warriors. It's oh yeah. Cool. I mean, it's just there's a bunch of disrespectful shitheads out yeah. there, and just. Do you but, think? Do you think it's because of the? Um, with Muay Thai, for instance, uh, we have a culture. And yes. it, it's very Buddhism and it's very Sawadi Cup and mm -hmm. everything, the whole business of this and that. Whereas well, explain what that means, what you're saying. Uh, uh, yeah, it's... Bow um, and put it... But yeah, for, most for, of these people for, for are ties, listening to for this. Ties, they clasp uh, their hands or, or, together in it, prayer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a way of showing that I'm unarmored. That's the yes. original... Um, instead of shaking hands, the toys, and then in, the males aren't touching the females either. It's more of a... It's it's a, it's a real humility and a yeah. real honest... Yeah. Appreciation of each other, and yeah. then uh, so they have this century-old culture. Whereas MMA is so tap-out, ridden, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Budweiser, mm -hmm. uh, just so the the fans are. It's a different sort of culture. 
do you believe it's sort of well, well that bro dude bullshit was frowned upon in taekwondo i mean i i grew up in taekwondo and which is very you, i always spoke to my instructor i called him sir or mister yes. it was either mr kim or sir yep. you know he said when he said something to me there was no question it was always yes sir and it was always there was this bowing respect type admiration that you had for your instructor and for fellow competitors and that was that's a big part of what martial arts is is this respect for each other and on the other hand i like the shit talking i like like what conor mcgregor does i like the just bleed guy in the audience going, <laughs> it's fun too but i think you lose something where there's a there's a beautiful respect to Muay Thai. And there's another thing about Muay Thai is the audiences are respectful. Yes. When you go to those events, like you very rarely hear stupid shit being yelled at. Yes. Even though people are drinking, there's a, there's applause for both the winner and the loser. Yes. There's a, a, a tremendous amount of respect that's involved in it because because it's not that popular and because it's not mainstream, those people in the audience have a, a deep appreciation for the art of Muay Thai. Yeah, they're hardcore. They're there for yeah. a reason because they want us here. It's not like it's on TV and they're just watching it for the sake of watching it they're there because they want to be there yeah yeah, yeah that's um, the only reason it's not a scene yeah it's like they're there to see Muay Thai yeah, and then um, yeah, the the MMA culture is just so. so well, cool. there's a lot of fucking posing and fake and assholes and I, I mean, my friends, I, I'll get my friends tickets, you know, and they'll go to the fights and they'll sit beside some guys like, "What is he fucking? I'm telling him do the fucking kick. I'm telling <laughs> you know the people just yell out advice and they get drunk and they're stupid and they're posing because they're insecure, so they're drunk at these events and they're trying to pretend that they know more than the fighter knows. Yeah, yeah, it's overwhelming. Yeah, I'm hoping that the human race survives this era. <laughs> I mean, I'm really hoping that we just this internet era enlightens us to our douchey ways, and we just we just slowly but surely rise from the ashes of what we've created. But I don't know. When I read comments, I get confused. You. <laughs> uh, listen, my brother, we just did three hours. We're out of time. Whoa. Sorry, oh, nine o'clock. Oh, Crazy. Shit. Oh, shit. This is the John Wayne Parr experience. Mate, thank you my again. My brother, anytime, man. Thank Open you. invitation, please. My pleasure. Anytime. And next time in town, let's train tomorrow. Let's do it again. Yes, please. A lot of, let's lot of do fun. It. Lot let's of fun. do it. When are you going to be around again? you have uh, any plans? I'm talking to Hans. I'm talking to Scott Kent. Uh, hopefully, I'll be back sooner than oh, later. Oh, fuck yeah. They have to have you back, man. And next time you come back, we'll uh, make sure, probably try to get you in before, too, so people can tune in and hey, nice. know that the fight is coming. Nice. John Wayne Parr, ladies and gentlemen. Follow him on Twitter, John Wayne Parr on Twitter, CageMuayThai.com. Cage CageMuayThai, December the 5th, I'm December fighting 5th. Cyrus, so yeah. Cyrus, Cyrus. not Soros, <laughs> not whoever that other guy is that he invented. <laughs> Cyrus Washington, Black Dynamite, should be a lot of fun. And can people watch that online or anything? Uh, yes, I'm going to have a, a it'll, it'll, uh, FightLiveTV.com. FightLiveTV.com, I will tweet it, I'll let you guys know about it, December 5th. Thank you, my brother. Mate, I really thank appreciate you very much. It. Thank you. Thank All you. All right, folks. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, be nice to each other. Bye-bye.